listening to the quarter to three movie podcast for oh. you guys ready for this the goonies <laughs> yeah the winner of the 2016 make us watch whatever you want fundraiser hugely successful we're so grateful to all of you we came away from this fundraiser with a list of 99 movies many of which we've seen but 99 movies that you guys voted for that I'm now looking at as a list, by the way, of... I, I need to finish this list. Anything on this list, and I, I think all of us feel the same way, that we haven't seen, we we want to see. But, yeah. first up... Instead, we saw. <laughs> <laughs> the Goonies, yeah. Well, uh, I am, uh, so, to discuss The Goonies, I am Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Mroskladsky. Jerk alert, it's dingus. I can't wait for this. Our Goonies tagline from Kelly Wand. It's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Wand, I kind of want you to just stop there, but you normally have some backups. Uh, Are there there more? Because that's going to be a tough act to follow, Kelly Wand. Um, it's like Tom Sawyer, but instead of a black man, it's a retarded troll. <laughs> Take it's that out. Hard to fit on a poster. Uh, any more, Kelly? You normally have a pass. Uh, it's like Explorers, but with a disappointing third act. Oh my God! I watched the Explorers. Ew! Oh, it's not called that. I'm gonna you make. The, right, I'm gonna make a the, confession when we start talking about Goonies. I. For many years, I have conflated Goonies and the Explorers. I thought they were the same thing. I thought Goonies was a movie about, pretty kids, about kids who build a spaceship. Um, so as I'm oh. watching the Goonies, I realize, <laughs> really? wait a minute, this, when are they going to build the spaceship? There is a ship. Right, there's That's no spaceship that happens. So I was like, what is that movie? I looked it up and ended up watching also this this uh, week, Explorers. Mm-hmm. And spoiler, let's just say it figures into my over-under. Oh, interesting. Uh, Explorers, you know, could you there's a connection between the two movies, you know. Oh, that, there's right? many connections. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about uh, that. Yeah, well, I, cause okay, I, I have a thing or two to say. So, uh, Kelly Wan, any other taglines before you, you pit Dingus and I in a, in a battle of the wits against one another? No. The opposite is so fucking long. Just, just hurry you towards it. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank goodness. I can't wait. Yeah, I especially want a lot of data acting. Uh, I can't wait. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm sure you don't. I don't even remember which character that is. Is that his name? Is that the way his name is pronounced? Data. Data. I'm, I'm, you know, it's so much watching Star Trek: New Generation that I just can't, you know, I just, yeah. I just can't say it without thinking of that Brent Spiner. Totally uh, with you. It was right, right after that too. They just ripped it off. Star yeah. Trek ripped off Goonies. Yeah. And that's the character they chose to adopt for <laughs> that new thing. You would think they would have a character named Mouch. There's no Mouch. Yeah. Next generation, yeah. Well, Patrick Stewart. Ah, very good. Yes, he's got a mouth on him. Kelly, want to read us a plot synopsis and see if Dingus or I, in in as you're reading the synopsis, can guess the movie. Dingus won last week, so I yeah. feel like this week I should win. I think Dingus is favored, but I'm gonna, oh, no. now that'll make me feel bad. So then next week I'll try to hand it to you and All fail right. as usual. All right, let's see how this one goes. Go ahead. 
Eleven year old Lisa has no time for toys. Well, she's the dollhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the dollhouse. Not that a, uh, it's a great that's what about. Um, <laughs> she doesn't have time for toys. Her name is Don Wiener, though, not Lisa. Okay, right. I've already failed. Happiness. Don Wiener. Don Wiener's her, uh, Heather Mazzarada is her is yeah. his name, uh, and the character's name is Don Wiener. How can you not remember that from uh, not Don D O N D A W N? I like to think it's the same character in Hostel too. Oh, oh sure. ouch! So, fucking Eli Roth. Sorry. Oh my God! I've cussed on the Goonies podcast. All right. Here uh, we are. I'll bleep that out. Sorry. Ding. Uh, anyway, eleven-year-old okay. Lisa <laughs> has no time for toys. She's too busy taking care of her siblings and cooking for her mother. During the Christmas Eve blizzard, Lisa travels to a place and arrives just in time for a wedding. Young Mary Contrary is about to marry mean old Barnaby Barnacle, despite the fact that she loves Jack be nimble. Lisa tries to stop this terrible wedding and together with her new friends discovers that Barnaby wants to take over this place. Sounds Lisa, like a cartoon and not a movie. It sounds it's like live action. Thing. Is it the song at the beginning of uh, Wally? The Hello Barnaby? It's not that. Oh, uh, 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 Damn Yankees. Isn't, isn't Damn Yankees in Wally? Yeah, I think you're right, Tom. That's how you say Wally. 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 The, little, the little robot watches the live-action uh, VHS tape of it's a musical. I don't, I don't think it's it's something. Is it is it Damn Yankees? No, it, like Babes in Toyland. What is it? It's Babes in Toyland. Oh Did my you already god! Say that? <clears throat> See, this wasn't very fun. Babes in Toyland with Richard Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> You watch Dingus watching the toy. <laughs> oh, I um, well done. Smart, not dumb. All right, let, let's cut to the chase, Dingus. Tell the folks a little bit. Don't spoil it, because maybe there are people out there who haven't seen it yet and want to see it. Dingus, tell folks a little bit about what we watched this week. All right, this week we saw The Goonies. Mm. <laughs> Stupid a, random number generator. A 1985 American adventure, comedy, family, fundraiser, palooza, lottery, winner movie <laughs> about planned foreclosure to build a golf course in an area of Astoria near the Columbia River called the Goondocks. It was directed by Richard Donner, who calls himself Dick, and written by Chris Columbus from a story by somebody named... Steven Spielberg. It stars Mary Ellen Trainer, Anne Ramsey, Carrie Green, and Martha Plimpton. <laughs> Dingus. <laughs> what? What about uh, the? Uh, he's got it. We'll, we'll talk about it. He's got his reasons. Oh. Uh, the, the Goonies oh, no, sorry, is rated. This is very important information. Uh, it's a it's a soft R, but I'm pretty sure it's an R. Go ahead, Dingus. The Goonies is rated a soft PG. Oh right, it was pre PG thirteen, I believe. That was right. the, oh, no, yeah, it was eighty six, and PG thirteen was after Temple of Doom. 84. When was Temple of Doom? Eighty four. Okay, okay. The first PG thirteen movie, Tom, was, was Temple Red of Doom. Dawn. Red Dawn. Now PG. Oh the, really? It was Temple Red... of Doom made the PG thirteen. Yeah, we've contended about this before. Yeah. yeah. Well, Red I know Dawn. the first Disney PG movie. I can tell you what that one is. Black Hole. Jaws. Well, Jaws is not Disney. Thing is Universal oh. and Disney are very different entities. I'll have you know. Just ask Fast Five. Yeah, Black Hole was it. So you said, Black what Hole? was the first Disney PG? Black Hole. 
Oh, Black Hole. How is that thing PG? Because it Maximilian basically disembowels somebody with his blade. Yeah, I know. That would freak kids oh. out. Yeah. But that's like, so, that's not enough for. You think uh, that should, you think in a G-rated movie, a robot with 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 basically blender blade hands disemboweling someone that that's for general audiences, Kelly Wand. Um. Well, why not just take that part out? <laughs> you don't want to. You're compromising the cre- creative integrity of Black Hole. Remember Vincent and that old man Vincent robot? That doesn't go with the disemboweling. <laughs> Just saying. Someone needs to rewrite that shit. But the uh, science... They did. It out. was called Interstellar. That and The Martian are the only two movies where the science checks out. Interstellar is a farce compared to those two movies. All right, Kip Thorne, who recently discovered gravity waves. You guys are calling him a farce. How dare you? That's a big deal, Tom. Don't make light of it. I'm not. You guys are making light of it. The guy who made sure that Interstellar was that the data checked out, the science checked out, he's discovered gravity waves. You don't you don't just randomly throw science into a movie willy nilly and then and then discover gravity waves. Unless you're paid by Christopher Nolan to do so. Oh right, because normally people do prono bono work on movies, right? Prono bono. Kelly Wand, no, no, wait, wait, wait. why is this rated PG? Could t- right. explain this to us. Oh, it, right. It's rated PG for mild language. Okay, including yes. it's just mild language, including some suggestive references, <laughs> scary images, no. and adventure violence. <laughs> no, Dingus. You, uh, which one of those did Dingus just invent? <laughs> that exi- that term existed back then, or it's been retroactively used? That's actually a good question. I wonder, Dingus, do you know, are these things from 1985? or, or are they just say the words adventure violence. <laughs> no, the MPAA uh, basically uh, r- relates them to what the movie is now. I don't think they're related to what it was okay. then. Because the MPAA didn't exist in, modern terms. In, in, the, in the way it did then. Adventure violence. I love that. Yeah, I fun. do. I, I love adventure violence. Uh, I saw. Uh, well, yeah. Well, there's plenty of great ones, but let's get on to the Goonies' commercial and critical success, or lack thereof. Oh, Kelly, Wan, Yes, did you need to help the MPAA sort yeah. of narrow down some specifics about the rating? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, there's, since they're apparently doing it for th- movies that came out 30 years ago and explaining what the people who worked there then decided to do, I should. <laughs> I'm as qualified as they are to say that I would add, since it's a very hard PG. Mm-hmm. Um, Trying to get out of dismemberment, one-eyed Willie, and Ramsey, and underage swashbuckles. <laughs> Those are all good, Kelly Wan. The MPA no, they're not. thanks you. Oh. <laughs> That's my Anne Ramsey impression. <laughs> there were times Anne Ramsey reminded me of uh, of a young Brando. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, he patterned his Missouri Breaks character after. <laughs> Uh, the Goonies opened at number two. Oh, oh so great. sad. It was beaten in its third week, by the way. This movie has been running for three weeks, and it still beat The Goonies. This movie made $10 million. The Goonies only came in at $9 million. The Goonies was beaten by Rambo First Blood 2. First Blood, Rambo 2. Yeah. That's a good choice. If those two movies are out, I know which one I'd see first. Yep, this is back in June 7th, 1985. Um, by the way, did, did you guys know Rambo 2, uh, of course, co-written by Stallone. Do you know who co-wrote Rambo 2 with Stallone? John Millions? Chris Columbus? James Cameron. 
Wow. He shares a screenwriting credit for this, the Rambo sequel, which is amazing. What? Yeah. Uh, here's one for you, Kelly Wand. If we look at Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews of Goonies that are positive, if you look at the audience reviews where people log in and vote, 91% of the reviews are positive. However, wow. wait, for Rambo? No, 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 for Goonies. <laughs> we're done with Rambo. Oh, Vietnam was kind of like Pandora, but greener. No, but I could totally see that sort of connective tissue between aliens and Rambo movies. Oh, sure, Dingus, yeah, in that sort of phase of his career, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, Which, by the way, has a connection. Well, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, So, (laughs) super popular on Rotten Tomatoes with the audience. With critics, only 69% of the reviews of The Goonies are positive. Appropriate. Yeah. It's a lot of funny numbers. 69 is great, yeah. On Metacritic, by, yeah, speaking of goons. Dingus, what's a funny number in Goons? Uh, on Metacritic, the average rating from various reviews is uh. 60. Uh. Hmm. Why well, did 91 is the audience? The people who would log in to Rotten Tomatoes to vote on something. Give it a 91. Yeah. yeah. Critics are just a stick in the mud. Yeah, really. No kidding. They should be more like us. I think it's like that thing where whatever came out when I was a certain age is awesome. Like the Lone Ranger's radio show. Young, you young punks. That's as was, as I know. believe it was, this is credited to Asimov, but who, who said the golden age of science fiction is twelve. The golden age of anything is twelve. Yeah. So right. If you were twelve when the Goonies came out, you were you were one of the people who probably logged into Rotten Tomatoes and gave it a ninety-one. Asimov was at his peak at twelve. If he wrote that, then <laughs> Kelly Wan speaking <laughs> being at your peak. <laughs> That's my rebuttal to him. The choke <laughs> is timelessly quoted. I have been looking forward to a Goonies Opsis for quite some time. What would such a thing be called, Kelly Wand? The Goo Opsis? Awesome. Kelly Wand, I would like you to rock and roll with the Goo... What is it called? The Goo Opsis. Tom Tom almost said Goopsis, I think. (laughs) The Goo Opsis, right. I'm not sure what it should be called. Let's just raffle it. (laughs) Why don't you deliver it, and then we'll see what it should be called afterwards. Deliver it. Deliver it like you delivered it. Deliver it like the movie ends. The Gooopsis. For everyone who participated in the raffle, please hereby enjoy your The Gooopsis. A skull yawns the Goonies at us and loses interest while we listen to an Italian man hang himself. A New York slash Oregon cop slash prison guard goes onto death row and stares into a cell. He's all, hmm, guy hung himself. Uh, There's an envelope on his chest. I better read that first before summoning a coroner or getting suspicious. Uh, let's see here. To whom it may concern. Oh, I guess it's probably that for his family. They are parked out front pouring gasoline all over the front steps of the station. Hey, wait a second. His eyes are open and he's smiling at me. The hung guy's all, read the inside pot this morning. <laughs> The cops all, how'd you smuggle in an envelope? I mean, he opens the envelope and reads, Dear Officer Schmuck, I'm not actually dead. I'm about to kick you in the nuts and escape. You'll bleed for days and probably lose a testicle. But since Chris Columbus wrote this... (laughs) What the The cop looks up, only to find it was shocked that the guy really has hung himself, but by accident. The cop helps him to safety, then falls asleep. The Italian man grins excitedly and reveals he had a toilet pipe concealed in his pants all this time. 
I lean over to the Thor girl from Adventures in Babysitting, babysitting beside me, and go, I guess the pipe was his backup to beat himself to death in case hanging himself didn't work. He walks outside and grins excitedly at the sight of his brother, Bobcat Goldthwaite, pouring gasoline all over himself and nowhere near the police station. Their mom's man, Ramsey. She scowls at the drops per second rate that the gas is trickling out of the container and ADRs. Hurry up! Since opening the car door or having it open in advance would take the same amount of time or less, Goldthwaite opens the sunroof so the Italian brother can wriggle up the hood towards it and then get stuck halfway through. The car is a stick shift. All the other cops turn out to have been tricked by the guy hanging himself letter trick also, so they all emerge from the police station simultaneously looking mildly annoyed. They point and try in vain to draw their guns while Goldthwaite ignites the gasoline puddles with his mind. The cops scream at the sight of the two-foot-high flames and start shooting themselves and at the fire department across the street. Man Ramsey drives off with a genetically unlikely offspring. Music plays while some words say Corey Feldman and Man Ramsey eats cheese. (laughs) And the cops chase the criminal's SUV at 20 miles per hour. For some reason, the cops shoot at the getaway car's bumper while some off-screen jocks viciously hurl football at the girl from Lucas. They miss and hit her gutto blaster. Cheerfully ignoring this, she starts clapping rhythmically and says to some off-screen sprinklers, Okay, guys, I hereby declare this game over, and it now time for the victory pyramid and the defeat sphere. Behind her, some cop cars screech past, shooting bullets at her. Instead of showing us the Victory Pyramid, Richard Donner Superman 3s and shows us a fat old Hispanic lady with a skunk on her head cross the street while comically trying not to get run over or shot. Women. Music plays. Just as she dies off screen, we cut to Corey Feldman watching a black and white movie about people in the 1920s trying to make a right turn. Corey uses his hands to simulate a left turn and makes race car noises with his mouth, even though the cars in the movies watching were probably made out of chicken wire and capable of about 16 miles an hour going over a cliff. His dad sticks his head out of the trash bag out of the sink and goes, Hey, Corey, turn the TV down. I can't hear my wrench tightening over there. Feldman turns the TV off, then thinks the modern police sirens through the window behind him are coming from the appliance he just switched off, so he shakes his head instead of turning it in the direction the sounds are coming from. He hops onto the kitchen counter, goes, what? And gets sprayed in the face with his dad's pee. His dad's all, is the TV off yet? Who cares? Meanwhile, Martha Pimpleton's trying to drown herself in a garbage can. That's her character. A giant crab attacks her. Meanwhile, Short Round's using a rubber dart belt gun to make a red trash can on wheels move a couple inches. But he forgets to notice there's a chain wrapped around it and how to turn his device off and the shrieking cop car is barreling right towards him till he's dragged into the trash can and bit by rats. Meanwhile, the fat klutzy kid of the group sitting alone in a dark car wash. The police cars go by. He's all, hey, cars, and ogles the riveting sight of receding bumpers through the window but forgets how milkshakes and pizza work. So he suddenly hates police chases. <laughs> The cops and their cars all crash and explode. Man Ramsey breaks the car. The Italian brothers all, what are we doing wherever we are? The person dubbing Man Ramsey's lines laughs and goes, I'm your character's mother, boys. While the seagull yawns, we learn their contestants in 1986's SUV Rainy Beach Race, a ruse that local and state law enforcement has no answer for. 
they can't just wait at the finish line. For some reason, Donner forgets to show us the Fratellis winning the race. Meanwhile, 10-year-old Sam Gamgee looks through his microscope at some telephone wires while his brother James Brolin pulls groin muscles in the background. Gamgee's all, Oh, gee whiz, no one ever dies while I'm watching. He farts glumly. Brolin stares at him. Gamgee's all, Oh, sorry, I was just trying to delate myself. Brolin's all, It's delight, you fucking idiot. By the way, our house is being sold tomorrow. <sighs> I guess our parents exist. Corey Feldman, the Iron Man of the group, walks in uninvited, whips out his trademark unused calm, and goes, Yo, Adrian! Brolin's all, We don't have time for jokes right now, and tries to punch him in the face because he hates him. Feldman's all, Jesus, what kind of idiot fails driving test on a little Goyle's bike? Outside, Chunk yells, Hey, guys, I saw something that made me spray milk in my face. Everyone rolls their eyes. Fat people are so stupid. Since they're all goonies, they make Chunk disrobe and gyrate repulsively while lowering. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Since they're all goonies, they make Chunk disrobe and gyrate repulsively before lowering the bucket of dirt that kills the chicken that shits the football that Gamgee and Brolin's parents designed to open the front gate for some reason. They don't live alone. <laughs> Not yet, fatty. Chunk's all, guys, I saw something amazing. He spills another milkshake all over himself for emphasis. Brolin's all, more amazing than what Michael Jackson left in your bathroom. Gamgee's all, more amazing than how that nursing home full of burning old people smelled. Feldman's all, more amazing than when you ate the Godfather's weight at pizza. Chunk sheepishly admits that it was LaToya who destroyed his toilet. Meanwhile, outside, Short Round breaks into the house next door, puts a protractor on a clothesline, turns the James Bond theme on, <laughs> screams, Bonsai, why, man? <laughs> All right, here we go. That's the character, Dingus. I'm just quoting. He's screaming. <laughs> Tech. His name, is, his name is Jonathan. I don't know what – you know his name is Jonathan, right? <laughs> Wait, is that your uh, Olympus has fallen character? Uh, no, it's just the name of the actor. He's going by Jonathan now. Jonathan, you know. The artist formerly known as Kehoe Kwan is now Jonathan K. Kwan. Why? Because he's going by Jonathan. I'm just all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Anyway, in this movie, he screams, "Bonsai white man!" <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan screams it. Stingus pointed out. <laughs> Thank you, Dingus. Welcome. And- and parasails down the clothesline towards Goonies' mansion. Brolin's all, Gamgee, quick, the screen door! Gamgee's all, got it! And shuts the screen door just in time for short round to smash through it, and all the glassware in every room, and karate chick chunk in the nuts, making him knock over a nude statue of Aiden Quinn. Luckily, everyone's hurt but Chunk. He gets up brushing dust onto himself. <laughs> short round's all, That was very inconsiderate! It's cushioning my fall, fat man! Jesus, <laughs> really? <laughs> Jonathan has spoken <laughs> everyone concurs with Jonathan and spits at Chunk while he sets the statue back on the edge of the coffee table Chunk's all so much for old fat Chunk being the Sam Gamgee of this movie he stumbles around unconvincingly until eventually the statue falls over again on its own 
Chunk's all, don't worry, I can keep this shit going for hours, and picks it up again. Achoo! His sneeze blows its penis off. I look over at Spielberg, Cindy Lauper, and Cathcart sitting beside me. My... <laughs> Jerks. Dark as a lemur, Princess Leah rears up behind my seat. <laughs> really? What the fuck? I have take six. Now she sits behind me. I, I'm trying. <laughs> Rears up behind my seat, Dinkus. I'm just reporting what happened, all right? I'm just a journalist. <laughs> like Spotlight. And Scream whispers, In episode five, Harrison Ford also gets turned into statuary with later penis issues and the classic scene where he mocks my declaration of love. <laughs> I try to tune that out. While Chuck holds up the penis and frantically tries to replace it using saliva as glue, Gamgee's all, dude, that's the only piece of it my mom even uses. Feldman's all, certainly, not all the white stains on her statue, are you from pigeons? Brolin and Gamgee are all, shut up, chunk. Our mom hates dick, you jerk. Short round's all, you want crazy lady, Dr. Jones? Gamgee's all, trust me, my mom character notices everything. The Goonies' mom, Shelley Long, comes in with the plus-sized Mexican woman. Oh, Shelley no. <laughs> that didn't mean anything. Shelley Long's all. Since we're moving away tomorrow, I hired a maid. Even though I think this is Portland, she doesn't speak English. Since Feldman's the trusty one, Shelley Long lets him show the Mexican woman where the Goonies' residence keeps all their drugs and sex torture devices. And what we're told is Spanish. Then he's all... You'll be tortured for two weeks without food and water. <laughs> Over a close-up of her unconvincingly confused face, some subtitles are all. She doesn't speak Spanish, by the way. For some reason, they trust Chunk with gluing a penis onto something. Since Chunk only has erections, he glues it on the wrong way. Luckily, there's no payoff to any of this. Gamgee's all, hey, everybody, I have an attic. They're all, yay, go upstairs. <laughs> they hear thunder for the first time ever and freak out. Feldman offers Gamgee oral sex through an oil painting, then gets upset. Brolin's all, hey, look, guys, great-grandma's Tesla coil. He and Short Round prod a light bulb with their fingers. Gamgee's all, Tesla, she was the first Goonie. They find a prop shaped like a treasure map inside a broken glass collection. But since they don't want to get hurt, they give it to Chunk to ruin. Chunk's all, hey, Gamgee, what's a treasure map? Feldman's all, it's your favorite pole position. Ah. Everyone's all, shut up, Chunk. <laughs> Roland punches Chunk, then denies him sex for a couple seconds. Gamgee's all, well, according to what Dad told me one time when I asked him what exposition is, One-Eyed Willie was the most famous pirate of March 30th, 1601. He stole stuff, and then a thing happened, so he made a cave, and then he filled it with booty traps that cost more to manufacture than all the pirate treasures in history. Short rounds all, and ever! <laughs> Everyone's all, shut up, chunk. Roland's all, hey, Gamgee, what's a pirate ship? Gamgee's all, I asked my dad the same thing, and he said... They all laugh and start to leave. Suddenly, Chunk trips over a framed newspaper article with more exposition with a picture of FDR on it that's irrelevant. Feldman points to a photo under the headline. He's all, hey, look, uh, it's a Fahrenheit tea chamber pot. Uh. <laughs> he was alive during the 1930s, but then disappeared, which didn't inspire a follow-up article. Everyone's all, whoa. Some real estate men show up. 
One's all, hey, Goonies, does your dad exist? To be tough, Roland's all, he's out buying pampas. The real estate guys exchange glances, acknowledging defeat. To regroup, they walk to a fence. One's all, you seem pretty sure of yourself. The other one's all, this foreclosure is a definite. They laugh and stare at the fence for a bit. On the porch, Brolin's all, assholes, smiling. He drags Gamzee around on the porch to cheer him up. Chunk's all, shit. If we don't find pirate treasure soon, they're going to turn the miniature golf course we converted the front yard into into a regular golf course. Everyone stares at themselves. While Cindy Lauper sings a song about them on MTV, they tie Brolin up with slinkies. For some reason. As usual, he's too weak up. Fucking goddamn it. As usual, he's too weak to put up any resistance. Then they ride their bikes to go have one last grand fiasco, in this case breaking into a beach house because they read something in an attic. Meanwhile, the mom whom Gamgee vociferously claimed notices everything comes home to see Brolin strangling to death in his tipped-over chair. She uses to ignore everything he's saying and goes, Brolin, can't you exercise like my statue over there? It looks normal. Meanwhile, a preppy jock named Todd's driving the girl from Lucas and Martha Pimpton through some scenically terrible weather. They don't like him. They're just there because they're fog enthusiasts. They see Brolin riding a little girl's bike, apparently with a destination. They make fun of Brolin for being too dumb to drive. Then the preppy drives him off a cliff by holding his arm. And again, Brolin's too weak again to fight back. The girls watch him die in silence off screen. Meanwhile, the louder goonies go to the beach house. They watch two people walk inside. Chunk's all, What if they're drug dealers? Also, since we're talking pirate treasure, shouldn't this be set on the East Coast? Short Round punches him in the face and goes, Shut up, fat man! <laughs> they walk up to the building, tiptoe on the porch, exchange touching gestures, and are instantly captured by the Italian and Goldthwaite, who drag them inside. Man Ramsey's all, What the fuck is doing out there? Did you see the sign out there that used to say pirate hideout, but has the first word crossed out and now says gangster? Feldman's all, Yo, I want the Scalpatonalini! Short Round's all, Guys, I don't think we've been spotted yet! Man Ramsey's all, that's the last straw, cut out Chunk's tongue. Goldthwait puts glasses of Gale at... <laughs> I mean, it's so good. Goldthwait puts glasses full of gasoline in front of them. Feldman's all, hey lady, you wearing a skirt or a pantsuit? I... Man Ramsey's all, it's wet, isn't it? Chunk's all, I'm gonna take a shit. He wanders off. He finds a troll chained to a wall watching TV, then loses interest in his bowel movement. Outside, the two girls somehow show up to slow things down. To Brolin, the girl from Lucas is all, Hey, I thought it was really cute when Todd tried to murder you by throwing you over the cliff, but then he was using his rear view to look at my shirt, at my face. So I elbowed him in the eye. I no longer find his sexual interest appealing. Brolin's all, Wait, Todd wasn't even using his rear view to drive with when he threw me over the cliff? Shit, Todd is awesome. Come on, let's help my kid brother and his friends break into that house. Since Brolin's too weak to break the door down, Feldman's all, Hey, Chunk, I got a picture of your mom taking a bath. Chunk's all, let me see, and smashes through the door. They're all, thanks, fat ass, and trample them on their way inside. As usual, the Goonies all stare around whatever locale they're in and go, Whoa, while music plays. In this case, it's a cement basement. Chunk sees a wine keg and goes, Hey, look, water! He aims it at his eye and splashes himself. Then he sees a water jug and goes, Hey, look, wine! I got it, I got it, I don't got it! Eventually, with a little help, it falls and shatters. Chunk's all, Hope it was a deposit bottle! 
in my audience, adults who were kids in 1986 look at modern day kids and look away uncomfortably. And so, look, we didn't have internet yet, all right? <laughs> <laughs> the girl from Lucas fondles Martha Winningham and goes, oh, Berlin's being so sweet, just standing over there yelling at everybody. Chunk trips over yet another newspaper in a picture frame, activating a counterfeit money machine. Short Round picks up one of the black and white dot matrix sheets that's spitting out and starts jabbering, $50 bill! $50 bill! Wow. The girl from Lucas holds up another of the sheets and goes, Guys, look, the president on the 50s, Ma Fratelli. The Goonies are all, whoa. Chunk's all, I can only smell ice cream. They open a freezer. A blinking man with makeup on his face loses interest as he falls on them. <laughs> There's some foley work of footsteps. Brolin's all. Fuck, the thieves my character's never seen before are coming back. If only one of us was strong enough to fight back against them. Since they figured they can just use Brolin for breaking down doors from here on out, they lock Chunk at the freezer with the board man and just take off. Later, down an indistinguishable tunnel, number 842, all. Shit, hey, did anyone bring flashlights? Whoever's leading this expedition's an idiot. Short rounds all. Do I have lights, white man? He throws open his coat, drops his pants, reveals twin objects on his belt, hits a button, and explodes. Everybody rolls their eyes and stumbles around in the dark. They find some pipes and decide to scream at them loud enough to make water fountain showers and toilets at a country club kill some people. Meanwhile, Chunk's plan to go fetch the cops goes flawlessly in that he's instantly captured and gives up his friends to the villains. <laughs> to prevent them from comically mutilating his hand, he's all, And then at fat camp, my nuts got stuck in a volleyball net, and then the worst time I ever ripped off Stand By Me was spending my birthday baking fake vomit at home. <sighs> it took ten hours. Sure wish they sold it in stores. And then I went to a movie theater playing Hook, and everyone was in there vomiting, and so was I. It was the worst thing I've ever seen or tasted, and I still ate most of it. Also, all my friends are down in the fireplace looking for pirate treasure here picks. Down in the cave, the girl from Lucas yawns impatiently and goes, How long will I be old and fat like that skeleton? A skeleton yawns while bugs come out of its eyes and also yawn. Gamgee raises some dynamite that's clearly labeled dynamite out of a box with warnings and pictures of explosions all over it. He's all, Hey, look it, guys. Normal candles not made out of wax. They're all, Whoa. He hands them out. They find a wishing well the pirates made. This infuriates Feldman. Picking up a bottle cap, he's all, Damn your impertinence, this movie's the low point of my career. I wish I was to someday enter this wishing well. Oh, God. <laughs> Child actors have it so easy. My wish was to someday enter this wishing well, and it didn't come true, so I'm taking whoever's this is back. Velma's all, Charlie Sheen's not even president yet. Use your brain. Gamgee's all, guys, look at this paper mache skull from my attic fits perfectly in the stone cranny. Who's the one-eyed willy now? He inserts and twists. A pit instantly opens under short round, and he falls down towards a pit of poison spikes. At the last second, he hits the same button on his chest he always hits and gets suspended by a slinky. He's all, I saved by my bipuskin's apparel! The girl from Lucas waits for him to finish, then unconvincingly goes, Short round, please don't be dead. Meanwhile, the troll causes a few dozen more deaths at an intersection by lifting something. Meanwhile, the Goonies somehow get short round back up in time to discuss pee breaks. 
The girl from Lucas kisses the first undersized braces wearing figure that stumbles in her direction and calls it Roland. Leah sticks her Botox in my ear and rattles. One morning, I woke up after having angry sex with Harrison all night and discovered I was really in bed with Warwick Davis and Kate Baker and the Dianoga puppet. The puppet later sued me for child support. <laughs> Meanwhile... Todd and two other preppy jocks from the cool side of town where the real estate developers live are doing what they do every night together, standing by a wishing well and collectively laughing about how one of them might have sex soon with a girl who just elbowed him in the eye. Todd's all, I wish for sex. (laughs) They all laugh. He throws his coin in the wishing well. The coin, for some reason, is thrown back up. He catches it somehow. They all stop laughing. This just got serious, yo. Well, the girl from Lucas is all, hey, Todd, I didn't hear what you just said, I guess. He's all, girl from Lucas, what the hell are you doing in the witching well? Just a two-word explanation, even. She's all, Todd, please, there's no time for two words right now. Now drop me that fragile three-pound bucket. I'm down here with your rival and a bunch of screaming ten-year-old fuckwads whom you'll also be hauling up by hand. Todd smirks to his buddies and goes, I guess dreams do come true. They all laugh heartily at the thought that Todd actually thinks this. He starts lowering the bucket. <laughs> Down in the magical pirate sewer, Gamgee's all, Girl from Lucas, wait. If you go up there right now, instead of watching me look for treasure so I can save my house, uh, I don't think we live together. Then you're not worthy of the slur Goonie. She makes an expression. Todd and his buddies reel in the pail, unnoticing the fact that its cargo weighs nothing until it gets to the top. <laughs> they see it's just a cheerleader jersey. <laughs> Stenciled on it, we now learn that the girl from Lucas's name is Troy. Good <laughs> <laughs> way to tell that, but yes, Spielberg directed that scene. <laughs> they all stop laughing again. Friends walk off in horror. Todd leans into the well and shrieks, Troy! Back in the chair room, the trolls watching the same scene from the same pirate movie that's always on every channel. While behind him, Chunk tied up reveals he has a candy bar we're expected to believe he's had all this time and hasn't long since devoured. Bobcat Goldthwaite's all, Okay, if either of you escape and never see me again, I'll break your legs. As he leaves, he giggles, Harry Krishna, Harry Krishna. <laughs> Down in the cave, the girl from Lucas walks up to Brolin, giggles, and starts taking off her clothes. Brolin's all, what are you, crazy? This is what I want to have sex with. He makes her look at a nearby dangling rope. She screams. Then she's all, wait, the criminals are coming down. Why don't we just pummel them with rocks as they, like, slide down the rope? One's an old woman, for fuck's sake. But Brolin's already shouting, they're here, they're here. Keep your voices down. Take the left tunnel. (laughs) Brolin's somehow in the lead again right after saying that. Makes the goonies follow him onto a log shaped like a bridge across two inches of water. Brolin's all, don't worry, I'm here, and shreds the rope handle of the bridge to pieces by touching it. They all yell and walk across the log, trying to trip while music plays, and we cut to shots of Man Ramsey snorting and redding in pursuit. Short rounds all, I put oil in my shoes on off chance I get chased down log by white man Ramsey. He unzips his pants. Some dirty water squirts out in plain view of the pursuing criminals. Then he runs away, making obscene gestures. Bobcat Goldthwaite walks onto the log, and because it was a special type of oil, it makes him do a graceful somersault onto the log, then speak in a funny voice. 
Meanwhile, the Goonies find a skeleton doing nothing. Short rounds all. What's that? He points at its bamboo cummerbund and goes, that's atrocious. Meanwhile, in the log, the Italian is also gelded. Man rams you all. What are you doing? Ten feet away, the Goonies fight a piano made out of skeletons and pirates. <laughs> Since the girl from Lucas suddenly declares she had a piano lesson when she was four, they make her play it while they all boo her efforts. She's all, I'm not Liberace, you know. Brolin scowls. He's all, unfortunately. Gamgee's all, girl from Lucas, I believe in you. Goonies always make mistakes. Eventually, she continues beating on random keys. They notice another passageway and just walk down it. Short Round tricks the crooks again by hitting a button on his chest that makes them have to cross the log again. The Goonies find a water slide the pirates built. They go down it while music plays. There's a ship at the bottom. They go on board the ship and, as usual, instantly start breaking shit and going, Whoa! In the midst of a greedy rant, Short Round falls through some wood and learns the ship has an interior. Brolin's all, uh, Why don't you use the stairs? Short, I mean, uh, Jonathan's all, You stairs! You stairs! That's why man's answer to everything! Gamgee finds a skeleton with a phone receiver over one eye and goes, Hi, one-eyed Willie. I guess that's you. I beat you. Let me rephrase that. You were the first Goonie. The other Goonies come in and say nothing. Eventually, Brolin's all. Speaking of which, uh, we found in her holding candles that aren't dynamite, although the lighting in here is unaffected. Gamgee's all. How long you guys been standing there? Brolin's all. Long enough, wimp. Long enough. Everybody's all. Shut up, chunk. Gamgee yawns and inhales some ready whip. He looks shit-faced. Then he's all. All right, let's do all this shit. For some reason, all the Goonies reach for the one handful of gold in a set of scales. Gamgee's all. Except that one. Ugh. Man Ramsey's all, that sounds like a good idea. She's there, by the way, holding a gun on everybody in plain view and unnoticed till now. Jonathan's all, don't worry, white man, short round, got this. He whips open his jacket, drops his paint, sticks a grenade down his underwear and explodes. Feldman starts choking on a mouthful of rubies. They're all Feldman, those aren't edible. He farts an emerald and begins convulsing and going into cardiac arrest. The troll shows up by somehow being in the crow's nest and then destroying a sail because he saw it on TV earlier, during which he also repeatedly shrieks, Hey, you guys! Because he saw someone say that on Electric Company 15 years earlier. <laughs> Brothers trick him by playing jump rope, but he tears his shirt off and reveals a Warner Brothers product logo. <laughs> the Italian and Goldthwait brothers at the side of this are all, We're fucked now! They can tie themselves up. Chunk puts a knife in his mouth, goes, by the way, I promoted myself to captain, and falls off a rope onto his friends, gravely injuring most of them. Some of the goonies are thrown into the water to drown, while others dive in voluntarily and start cheering. After we learn his horrifying deformities are the result of his mother dropping him on his face hundreds of times, the troll throws her into the water to finally even the score. As they drown, the girl from Lucas kisses Brolin and goes, that's weird, I just noticed that you don't taste like your kid brother's retainer. Brolin's all, why that little hobbit fuck? She's all, also your penis is the same size. Brolin's all, why that? <laughs> Music plays. Meanwhile, some moped cops ride down the beach doing nothing till the goonies use the dynamite to blow themselves ashore 20 miles away. The cops arrest them. The goonies' parents all instantly show up at the pier along with reporters, Air Force One, and the real estate guys, and Todd. Short rounds, dad's all, you want to feel alive? 
He drops his pants miserably. The girl from Lucas giggles to her parents. He's just like his dad. I mean, son. Short rounds off. Dad, you can't hug photograph. Believe me, I try. His dad says something in broken English. The subtitles are all, The night I invented you was similar. You alone are invention. And my favorite thing that doesn't work that I've ever made. In the background, short round sisters start sobbing. Gamgee's mom grabs him and goes, You're going to catch ammonia. Let's get these pants off. The cops look at each other uneasily and begin unholstering their sidearms. The girl from Lucas kisses Gamgee and goes, Your lips work like the parts of you that someday won't. Satisfied with this piece of wisdom, she walks over to Brawl and starts making out with him. Gamgee's all. A girl said all that to me? Fuck modern medicine. He throws away his bug bomb. Chunk's all. Hey, troll, you live with me now. Chunk's parents are all. Wait, what? The real estate guys walk on screen with their sons, both named Todd. They hand the Goonies' dad a prop that looks like paperwork and goes, Sign this, Mr. Goonie, or something else will happen. Suddenly, the maid begins whispering in Spanish and staring into a bag, so the reporters all look over and start snapping her picture. It turns out she has a sack of polyhedral dice, so the Goonies take them and use it to pay off their mortgage. The dad's all, No one will ever sign anything ever again! He takes the maid's green card and shreds it to confetti while everyone cheers the music playing. The Goonies' mom hugs the maid and goes, Thanks for saving whatever our city's called, Rosarita. Having done so, we no longer require your packing services. You're fired. A reporter walks on screen and goes, Hey, kids, why am I talking to you? Short rounds all. The best part of this movie was Octopus, deleted scene! (laughs) (laughs) And the gorillas. A cop snaps handcuffs on Man Ramsey, who's being helped up the strand by the troll, even though he just tried to drown her. The cops all, all right, Fratellis. Wait, how'd you get here? Swimming? Nobody's wet. Ah, whatever. As for you, Chunk, I see a troll here in a bag of jewels. But telling stories again? You're under holy shit a boat. Everybody stops watching. <laughs> Everybody stops talking to watch a ship model slowly capsize in the shallows because the troll mangled the mainsail, while in the background, Cindy Lauper sings about the subjective joys of mediocrity. The end. All right, Dingus, it was 1985 when this oh. came out. Why had you not seen The Goonies? 85. Oh, good Lord. Um, like, how is it that you've come this far having not seen this movie? Well, first of all, in 1985, I was a sophomore in high school. I wasn't going to the movies that much. Um, I, don't, I just don't think – I mean – it wasn't on my radar as a as a as a a kid in the tenth grade. I really think this is for kids who are my kids' age, like okay. kids. So you're a little too old six. for it. Yeah, okay. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So well, then Kelly won't. But, that, Kelly won't. But, but maybe you know. Actually, I, it's interesting that you say you say that, uh, Tom, um, because uh, I, one of the first movies I ever wrote about was Stand by Me, which came out the next year. Um, so that was definitely something that I wanted to go see, but I think that had more to do with my interest in reading Stephen King. Yeah, I don't think Stand By Me was ever marketed as like a kid's adventure, though. Like Stand By Me is very much – I think Rob Reiner was – even though it had kids in it, that was probably Rob Reiner's conception of here's a movie for adults that has kids in it. Right, right. Like we've talked before about how Stand By Me is very much an adult's perspective on childhood rather than about childhood per se. Right, but I but I was trying to sort of frame this in in the in 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 the question you're asking at that particular time in my life because this is 1985, 
And how in the world did I just complete? I mean, it was not on my radar whatsoever as a 10th grader in high school. Well, I'm, I'm the same as you because I, I just think that we barely missed uh, being in the right bracket for this. Right. When we were seeing movies back then, I, and I remember seeing Stand By Me, and I remember, you know, Gremlins is this period too, and that had just enough of an adult horror bent that it was something right, I saw. Right. right. Temple of Doom and Gremlins were both 84. Right, the same period is what I'm saying, is those were the kinds of movies that Dingus and I saw. So Some we of, would have probably uh, perceived Goonies as something for kids a little younger than us. Um, that, that's exactly why I think I've never seen this as well, is in that period I wasn't in that bracket. And in growing up and seeing old movies in the 80s, I didn't have any real context for this. As I mentioned, I thought this was about kids who make a, a, a spaceship. You know, I conflated this with Explorers for, for so long. Um so that's how I've avoided seeing this movie for so long. Kelly Wand, you have seen Goonies. Yeah. Did you see it when you were when it came out? Did you see it? Yeah, and I had the same impression that I did when I rewatched it. Although it's way more interesting to me now than it was then, just because of the eightiesness. Like it's way, it's just such a relic in so many ways, and that it that's what made it sort of watchable. But it seems um, like a really shitty movie. What? I'm really interested to hear you talk about the 80s relic stuff. But anyway, go ahead. What do you mean it seems like a real shitty movie? Well, just like everything's set up, and then none of the characters' traits really wind up having any relevance to the situations they're in, and nothing happens at the... Like, I think it's a really got a really bad ending, and nothing happens once they get in the cave, and they're not very um, well-defined. See, I could see that being, like, from the perspective of an adult going back and seeing this. But I, I think a kid seeing it... Everything that happens. I mean, Goonies is basically a theme park. Uh, it's these right. kids going through a theme yeah, park, but... and as a kid watching that, it's all about water slides and the Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean ride and all of that stuff, and and exploring a haunted, creepy attic and then and then a, an abandoned basement. Uh, like I, I, I mean, I agree with you, Kelly. I don't think I, I think but there's the Goonies... some really I think there's some really good skillful filmmaking here that jumps a shark at one point, and I think right. it jumps that shark is because. It is made throughout as a movie for kids to watch and to enjoy. Like, it's very much targeted at kids the same age as the characters in The Goonies. But there's a lot of movies that do that that have really interesting kid characters. Uh, well, they're, they're, that are for adults, though, I would say. Or well, that are supposed to be for adults no. and children. I think this is specifically for children. But my over is, like, is Pippi in the South Seas. Like, that character is way more interesting to me than any of the Goonies. Yeah, it's way it's out of my frame of reference. Isn't that some yeah. 50s thing or something? Uh, I think it's 60s. or It's early 70s. Okay. But she was just, like, you know, she was super strong, and she didn't give a shit about the system. And she would just, like, make a hot air balloon with a bicycle on it to, like, fly through a volcano to rescue her dad from pirates. And she lived off gold. And she had a horse and a monkey. Like, that's all. The Goonies are just a bunch of dipshits. I don't even well, know why they're I, friends. I don't I don't agree that they're all a bunch of di- dipshits. And I, I think the movie has more to it than that. I think it, it – I mean, I agree with what Tom was saying. But I also think it's a it's a child's fantasy. And I often had this fantasy as a kid about saving your family, about doing something – awesome to save uh save this you know i you know my family was uh uh my parents were divorced um you know my parents were all teachers so we didn't have a lot of money so there was a lot of like difficult times and a lot of um conflict going on and i often had that kind of fantasy and mikey i think it's it's that sort of you know sean astin's character is that that fan 
that fantasy of, of you being the superhero or you figuring out a way to save your family in an exigent cir- circumstance. Um, and so I think it's valuable from that point of view. Well, he's never really tested. He's never really... Well, no, he, they, I, I, he I just agree that's bring the skull and then... No, I think no. He put he pushes them forward in a number of ways in order to get in order to make this this quote unquote what I'm talking about fantasy work. But I'm just saying I think there's more to the character than more that more than more to one of the characters at least than than somebody who doesn't go anywhere. Well, that was one of the the things that I really enjoyed about this, and and I did enjoy watching it. By the way, I'm not. It's not for me. Uh, I'm perfectly capable of watching movies that aren't for me and appreciating them, and that's what happened here. but some of the stuff that I really did enjoy is the introduction and establishment of yeah. the different characters. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it comes through. Like you can see a lot of the quintessential traits of these actors over over later years coming through in this early stage. Like, oh, Sean that's Astin, a great point. That's a super great point. Sorry, Sean I'm Astin's, to interrupt you, but that's a great point, Tom. Yeah, Sean Astin's sincerity. I mean, you can yeah, clearly see what he's going to be like as an adult actor. James Brolin's sort of almost intimidating big brotherliness like competence yeah. and confidence. Um, yeah. Clearly, like you, you, just as watching these actors in the early stages of their, their careers and the, the characters that were written around them or that they inhabited, I mean, I think there's some really good performances here. And uh, Chris Columbus's script – wait. Yeah, Chris yeah. Columbus wrote this uh, directed by uh, Richard Donner. Chris Columbus's script – uh, I, I think it has some really smart stuff playing with these characters. And Kelly Wan, you say that their traits never redeem them or pay them off, and I disagree. Um, with, Sean uh, Astin's whole bit about sincerity and about respecting One-Eyed Willie's treasure and his accomplishments, like that's his central trait, and it determines what he does in the end. The goofy stuff with Data and his inventions, they save him. Uh, sometimes they go wrong for comic effect. Uh, Josh Brolin's protectiveness, I, I think uh, – uh, Carrie yeah. Green's, Carrie Green's sort of, uh, you know, her, her music knowledge like saves them. <laughs> uh, like I think these characters, mouth are. Uh, oh boy! So here's kind of where <laughs> I do not, I'll, I'll give you the whole point. I do not get Corey Feldman's appeal, and I have never. That guy is like he just screams child actor to me every time I see him. Um, you know whether it's it's Stand by Me or I, I don't even know what else he's been in, but I. He just never works for me, and I don't know if it's something that I must have seen him in that I was traumatized by as a child. Uh, Bunny Bears. No, actually, I think your your instinct on that is is actually right on because the the commentary track for this because I I got the DVD uh, the commentary track for this which is all these adults all together in a room like around two thousand one or something, um, and 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 the reason I'm bringing that up now is because of what you said about how the the movie shows what they're going to become mm-hmm. um, when he does. He's just as much of a kind of a, an he's abrasive. A he's, a he's, a, he's an abrasive twerp in the commentary track as well. And, and you can tell nobody really wants to listen to him <laughs> talk. And it's always annoying when he speaks up. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible commentary track, but, but the only reason I bring it up right now is because of what you said about what, what this shows. And I think it's really, a really, uh, insightful way of looking at these actors slash characters and where they're going to go later on in their careers. Um, 
each one of them kind of goes the way I think I, I didn't even think about this until you said it, Tom. I really love, I think it's a very trenchant observation, but he would, he in that, in that commentary track, he's like, Oh my God, will you, will you just please don't talk anymore? And to be fair, that's supposed to be what the character is. I mean, the, the shut up mouth is kind of the tagline about him. Right. Uh, so I think the movie is even Chunk. a little self-aware about that. Chunk, by the way, I thought that kid was great. And it's the sort of thing where I watch and I'm like, what What became of this actor? And I don't know what, what did become he of became him. A, he became an entertainment lawyer. He's a, hugely, he's a hugely – his name is Jeff Cohen, I think. And yeah. is a, he's a hugely successful or was at that time – uh, entertainment lawyer, like Kelly just said. So he just got out of the business. I mean, good for him because he, no, he's still in the business, but he understood well, that he's yeah. not an actor. Right, right. Um, which, by the way, and I just want to segue briefly into me realizing, oh wait, this isn't the one with the spaceship, and then watching Explorers. Um, Explorers, <laughs> which has none of this, like Explorers, and I didn't remember any of this. It was really disarming to watch Explorers and to realize. Oh my God, that's Ethan Hawke. Like I had no uh, idea he was in. Not uh, only that, but what? oh my God, that's yeah. River Phoenix. It's Ethan Hawke's first movie. Yeah, and, and and it might be River Phoenix's first movie. Maybe. I mean, River Phoenix is uh, like, yeah. and 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 it does, by the way, nothing. There is nothing that Explorers does to take advantage of what these actors were. No, were it's all slapped together horseshit. And then there's the third kid in it, who I spent most of the movie going, "Who is that?" Like I, I've got to know him from somewhere, but he is like like Jeff Cohen. He apparently got out of the business because he doesn't really have many credits after uh, Explorers. Um, but let me tell you, one of the best ways to appreciate Goonies is watch Explorers. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the stories that Sean Astin tells is that he was um, up for a role in Explorers, I think, uh, or he could continue to be considered for Goonies. He had to choose between the two movies, basically. And he chose Goonies because he got to kiss a girl at the end. <laughs> uh. Well, that's why so many of us get into acting, by the way, is for the chicks. Sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and, and what a, a wise choice, because Explorers just is a complete disaster, like from beginning to end. It's, it's really absolutely wretched, um, which is particularly surprising because it's Joe Dante. Um, oh. But it's Joe Dante, though, post – I think it's after Gremlins. It's immediately after Gremlins. Yeah, Twilight, uh, so. It's after uh, The Howling because Joe Dante early on, he did a Piranha movie and a Howling movie, both of which are very much earnest horror. Uh, and The Howling has some really good stuff in it. Then he does Gremlins, which is uh, a Chris Columbus script. So it has this more – there's more levity to Gremlins but a little touch of his horror. Then he does this Explorers thing. I, I mean I almost I, – like, I kind of want you guys to see the Explorers, and Kelly Wan, you referenced this, just for how completely awful it gets for that third act. Yeah. These kids go into space, and they meet these aliens, which are designed, by the way, by Rob Bottin, who is who's the – What? Well, yep. The Rob Bottin guy. from The Thing. Uh, as recently, it's like he worked on Fight Club. Great special effects guy. That's he true. makes these, these aliens, which are actually good special effects, but the script for, for Explorers, written by a guy named Eric Luke, who – immediately went on to do TV after Explorers uh, and directed by Joe Dante, these aliens are, are probably one of the most annoying products of the 80s. I cannot imagine anything more annoying in a movie. <laughs> There's just like shtick they're doing from TV. It, it's just like watching a stand-up comic. Just, There's nothing more annoying than watching someone do a curly impression. A curly impression? They do, They sing. There's a musical number. <laughs> they're they're acting against like a screen of old TV playing behind them. Yeah. I don't know what was – and those poor kid actors, 
uh, River Phoenix, Ethan Hawke, whoever that third kid is, are having to pretend to be entertained by these aliens and enchanted by them. You can't them. do it. I remember it is, that. It is absolutely wretched. Huh. I remember kind of liking that aspect of it, even. Like, the kids are just like, this is a fucking shitty end. <laughs> and, like, their characters are just like, Ugh, Yeah, yeah, you can sort of face. tell. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when I talk about the Goonies jumping the shark, and, and for me, the Goonies jumping the shark isn't where I think it necessarily becomes awful. There's at least but, a shark. Uh, where's the shark and Goonies? Well, the setups. I agree with you that, on that. Well, the, the shark, where, where, when I talk about Goonies, when... When Explorers jumps the shark, I mean, it does it fairly early, and you realize, right. oh, God, this movie is terrible. When Goonies jumps the shark, I just realize, oh, wait a minute, this is just for kids. There's really nothing here for yeah. adults. When does and Goonies jump the shark? What do you mean? I would say it jumps the shark when Data is falling down the well and yeah. gets saved by his uh, false teeth toy uh, from yeah. the spikes. And at that point, yeah. I realize they're going to completely undercut or defang yeah, no any rules. sense of peril or menace. Right. Um, this is just a cartoon. This is just no one's going to die. Yeah, well, I would say they were doing that all along. I this is just a goof for kids. But so, so Dingus, I kind of disagree because there are there is some fairly dark stuff. You know, when when Chunk gets That's locked sad. in in the the freezer with the corpse with the bullet hole in its head. When there's yeah. this crazy monster, who you don't know he's going to be uh, like a lovable uh, sidekick. I mean, I, what is that guy's name by the way? I couldn't make out what he was calling. Sloth. Sloth. I think. Sloth. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, I think before you see Sloth's face and his demeanor, like that looks fairly menacing. Um, so I mean, the yeah, way it's, he's it's, just shaking his hand, I, I, I got no menace out of that whatsoever. Well, well for, for in the sense, Dingus, that once I realized that that Data's toys were going to subvert something rather than it Break pulling back from being dark in any way, like I just um, realized at that that's point. Marcus. Yeah, yeah, like like Kelly once said, like the rules, like there's, there's not going to be any rules. Just these kids are going to be conveniently saved. Nothing's going to be endangering anymore, threatening. You know, these spikes that would be horrifying. He's about to fall into spikes and get skewered to death, and a toy saves him. Yeah, uh, but yeah. the the moment that first thing happens where he draws the the uh, that huge uh, oil can toward him, the very first time he uses one of his uh, devices, there's no physics in that. It's all just silly, and all of it is silly. Right, right. There's no physics, of course. I mean, right. That doesn't, but physics doesn't necessarily imply that you've jumped the shark. Plenty of movies have bad physics for the sake of a gag. You know, the the physics, by the way, of this is one of the. So I want to talk about some of the effective humor here. I love the physics of Joey Pants doing his his flip trip on the slick shoes log. I I love that stuff. I love a guy falling down. Um, yeah, Columbus. I, I, I could, I, like, the, the crotch humor. I mean, enough. Nope. I, mean, I love the penis on the statue. That was great. <laughs> I thought <laughs> that was a great bit. Uh, I love Joey Pants getting hit by in the nuts by uh, Dada's teeth. That was great. <laughs> I laughed at that. Um, so I'm just saying, for me, Dingus, that's where I realized. Oh, wait a minute. This is just Kitty Fair. They're not going to do anything else dark. We've now lost any sense of <laughs> yeah. of mystery. It's not going to be Temple of Doom. Because that's the thing. Like this is basically a, a Scooby Doo thing. And once right. the, the well, monster, yeah, very good. Yeah. Once, once the monster pulls off the mask, and you realize it's just a, a small time crook. Uh, that that's the point in the Goonies. That, that basically the right. mask get pulls off any sense of peril. All along, you know it's not going to be there. But once it's revealed that it's going to be subverted by these flimsy toys, for instance. Uh, that was where, for me, I realized, okay, wait, this is not, this is not, this is no longer a movie that's made for me to enjoy. And that's his character. That's it's like a racial stereotype. 
Well, the super, like, yeah, the super smart inventor. I mean, you know, the quote unquote good at math, right? right. Yeah, it's right. so on the nose, and that's what to me is the bummer about Goonies, isn't it? Oh, there's a strong guy. Like, there's no, they don't shake things up at all. Like, there's no, there's no. Well, it's not subversive, but I do think yeah. those, that oh, the strong guy. You know, Josh Brolin is the strong guy. That's I it. think that's useful though, because he is the protective big brother, and and they they they. By the way, they don't just make him like a Chet big brother bully like i love the bit where he no, he's hugs. protective yeah. yeah and i love the the little affectionate bits with him and sean astin those are those are very effective i think right um, you know he's he's angry but he's, he's angry with his brother i mean he's you know he's he's i mean i i agree with tom i think he's got some some real depth and this is his first movie i mean surprisingly it's not enough, the actor this is his first movie Josh Brolin's. Yeah, 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 Josh Brolin's. And and actually, by the way, in the uh, in the commentary track when they talk about the statue and gluing the penis upside down so it's sticking up, um, Josh Brolin says, and "I I really don't see the problem with that." Oh, I didn't give him an erection, right? Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> I that, I I laughed at that as well. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that was cute. Uh, so so yeah, so I uh, I can completely understand why people would enjoy this and. I enjoyed uh, – so here's another thing is I, I think a lot of the early bits were super competent, especially compared to the Explorers. Um, that early set piece where they escape from the prison and there's a chase, like what was competent about that was a couple of things. First of all, the, the tone of that chase what was light enough and the music was, was very mischievous and, and, and action-y. Um, it did a great job of establishing the setting, by the way. I was like, whoa, look at this little seaside town. This is beautiful. Uh, it, 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 it weaved around amongst the different characters to show us a little different vignettes. Uh, so I thought very successful opening. Very what was Martha Plimpton doing? Uh, I don't remember. But by the way, one thing I did learn from the synopsis, uh, Kelly Wand, uh, Carrie Green was apparently in Lucas. Yeah, she was. <laughs> I did, I did, and I there's, a, there's a Lucas joke in the movie. Or uh, actually in the commentary, I'm sorry. Uh, well, there's, so here, this, I hated this. Uh, I, so I was going through and I was going to do good writing, bad writing, but I actually think for what it's trying to do, I think it's all good writing. I mean, I think this is all writing that's designed to appeal to kids this age and is effective. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, but it's what, cute I, what I did, yeah, cute. What I did end up with in bad writing and this stuff, it just makes me livid. Uh, there's a Gremlins joke and a Superman joke. Which, yeah. you know, the writer and the director having an in-joke about themselves, yeah. that's every bit as wrong as uh, having the aliens on, on aliens on the marquee in Near Dark when Bill Paxton and Jeanette Goldstein and Lance Henriksen are walking by. Right. Like, yeah. those sort of inside jokes. It's vanity. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear you liked the music. Because, I mean, I, I've liked Dave Grusin's music in The Fabulous Baker Boys. I think that's the only thing. I mean, I really love that soundtrack. But... Otherwise, this movie was just A-team music for me almost all the way through the last part of it. So, Dean, I wouldn't necessarily say they liked it. I, I would say it's effective, like as far as introducing all right. its own. All right, fair enough, yeah. Um, yeah, it's nothing I would ever listen to, but as far as saying, hey, this is the kind of movie you're going to be watching. Uh, it's going to be playful. It's not going to be too dark. Uh, it's going to be action-y. Uh, go. Like it, I, I think he's, he's basically accompanying the tone very effectively. Uh so my overs and unders then, just to uh, – because uh, we don't necessarily have to save these for late. I just want to point out how I was looking at this. My over and under are movies from 1985 that feature children going down a slide. Wow. Because, because once that happens, you've got a very definite kind of movie. 
And these are movies, by the way, and my, I ranked them by how relevant they were to me. Uh, my over, and I actually have to say my over might actually be worse than Goonies because it so misjudges its tone. It so betrays what came before it. But it was hugely relevant to me at a time when I missed the Goonies. So more relevant to me, but probably a worse movie. My over for being more meaningful, more relevant to me is Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, uh, which has little kids coming down a slide and bonking a guy who's like working in the pigs. Like it's terrible. Uh, but I just remember feeling this crushing sense of disappointment in that movie because this was this was Mad Max. You know, this was the series yeah. that, I, that I loved. Oh, I see. So Goonies, on the other hand, watching it throughout and realizing, okay, this is for kids, at least super competent. Uh, um, but uh, Goonies meant nothing to me because I missed it back then. Uh, do, you, and, do you remember seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark at the time? Y- or, yes. Is there kids going down a slide? No, no. It, okay. There's not, but there's the, the ball rolling thing. The, the the bowling ball rolling thing just made me think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And also we have a, a listener named uh, Brian Kent who basically said this is a kid version of, of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ah. And, and whenever that Rube Goldberg device thing, which I never understood why that Rube Goldberg thing was going on in the house. And then with – I didn't understand any of that. It seems weirdly unrelated to like coincidental. Like, they, like, like Chris Columbus uh, – and Richard Donner just loved the idea, so let's have the pirates do it and the kids do it. Well, uh, and and that kind of goes along with the um, the the mom using the wrong words and the kid and Mikey using the wrong words. What's the what's the word for that? Malapropism. But I like yeah, that because the, the idea is like he, he inherited it from his mother. Yeah, but it's just weird and doesn't really pay off in any way. And that that Rube Goldberg thing eventually pays off with uh, one-eyed Willie. Uh, one-eyed Willie's like weird device that. Finally, pays off, but it's weird that that's how they open their gate. Right, I don't yeah. get that. And but anyway, and the reason why I bring up Brian Kent saying it's a kid version of of uh, of Raiders of the Lost Ark is because of the way that the bowling ball was rolling a couple of different times, and it just made me think of the that huge boulder rolling at the beginning of Rala. At the beginning of what? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Sorry, Uh-oh. I always spell it out wrong. Rolla, anyway, really? t- anyway, Tom, go Rolla. on. You, you were talking. I apologize for that. Oh, well. Right. Wait. I, I still don't understand the Rolla thing. What's Rolla? Rotla. It's an acronym. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Rotla. I've never heard that. Rotla. Rotla. Dingus. Ew. I, I had a friend in college. <laughs> uh, I had a friend in college. Are you saving your breath for something? Are you just no, I had a friend in college who had, just call uh, it Raiders. who had a bunch of friends who loved Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they called themselves Foo Rotla. Friends of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. They called them Fu Rotla. So I've always thought of I've always thought of Rotla of Raiders of the Lost Ark as Rotla. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said. Yeah. I just write it that way in my notes. I abbreviate it that way. Because you're right, Kelly. When people do think of National Socialists, they abbreviate as Nazis, right? Good For Rotla. So my my under, however, movies where kids go down slides. There's a bit in the Explorers where. they, they land on an alien ship, and a, a slide opens underneath them, and it's just the kids going, wee, and they're going down slides. Explorers is so incredibly awful. I just I, – I, I really think it's instrumental in why I enjoyed the Goonies so much. And I'm so glad that you, got, that you took the bullet for that. Oh, my God. Did you – so you guys – it sounds like Kelly Wan knows, but Dingus, do you know how bad the Explor- Explorers is? Yeah. I have no idea. I never saw that thing. Good Lord, it's wretched. Uh, no it signs right like- after. 
Lawrence, wasn't it? It was concurring. I mean, they're basically all 1985 movies. Yeah, uh, Thunderdome, Goonies, and Explorers are all from that period. And honestly, I didn't even think of it as related to this until I listened to the commentary track and heard Sean Astin saying, "You know, I had a choice between going to do a, a screen test or going to do an audition for Explorers or being Goonies." So Dingus was the connection. Yeah, so that's one connection. But the connection, of course is that uh, Joe Dante directed Gremlins, which is a Chris Columbus script, and oh. directed Explorers, which is a script from a guy who, as I mentioned, his name is Eric Luke. He did no more movies after that, after Explorers. He went on to do TV, I'm assuming because people knew his, his work was terrible. Uh, but uh, so it, it's sort of the difference. Gr- the difference between Gremlins and Explorers is on Gremlins, Joe Dante had a Chris Columbus script. On Explorers, he had this other guy's script. Huh. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Chris Columbus uh, is dumb. You know it's what, Kelly? I dis- I disagree. I don't. Uh, you know, he, he, he's not. I, I don't know that he's dumb, but he's not for adults. Like he's for kids. He's making well, kid kid adventures. You're giving this thing such a free pass. It's like this ending. Nothing happened at, at the end when the parents all show up. Like that's the right. Christopher. He's too schmaltzy to be a good kids well, writer. Well, some some stuff for kids is schmaltzy. You know, not everything uh, that's for kids is uh is up or brave or. You know, Star Wars, for instance. I mean, there's some great things that are for kids or adults. There are, of course, plenty of things that are just for adults, and there's some things that are just for kids. And I would say Goonies is an effective example of something that's just for kids. And not something, by the way, like we see crap like The Good Dinosaur, just for kids, horrible throughout. This is not The Good Dinosaur. This is effective stuff for kids. I just don't remember kids at the time going, oh, Goonies is so satisfying. Because you, you, you were a little older, I think. If we know. Ten years younger, yeah. maybe. And kids and, weren't going, oh, my God, we got to see Goonies again. It's so addictive. Why do you think it had such ardent support among some of our listeners? And I'm because no friend of people. Because when I tell people that I haven't seen the Goonies, a lot of times I get this reaction, oh, my God, how did you not see the Goonies? You should watch it. And when because, Tom said it in front of my kid, who's 11, my yeah. kid said what? He said, that's a good movie. That's a good movie. I mean, that's what this, it, I think it's a window movie. And that's, a, that's another thing Brian Kent said. I mean, wh- something he says specifically is Goonies is a case of you had to be there. And a lot of us were right there at the perfect time. I think it's just a window movie. And that's, you know, I missed the window. Kelly, uh, the golden age it, of Goonies is 12. It doesn't, the movie does not work for me. I, I mean, I disagree with Tom on, on the on a lot of the acting, I think some of the acting is terrible in this. Who's, who's terrible? Uh, I Jonathan? think I think the guy who plays Chunk is terrible. I, I mean, oh, Dingus is so mean. I think he's funny. Uh, I, 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 mean, I like him. I don't think he's good. I can't I help it. Good. I mean, I I mean he's a he's a successful dude now. I don't feel as bad about you know the the is way I would talk about a normal child actor. But I think a lot of them. I mean, wait, the acting is terrible, and I think the editing is horrible. Kelly Wan, you think is, that? You think Spielberg Chunk- editing? Spielberg did some of the editing on this. It's. I think the editing is terrible, and I think that a lot of that shows up in the performances. I don't. I mean, but I think that. Uh, I think a lot of that is a window thing, and I think that that you're right, Tom, and I think that Brian Kent's right as well. You had to be there at the time. Kelly, one, you broad. think Chunk is too broad in a yes. kids' movie for the yep. comic relief? Is too for broad. Here's <laughs> the thing: Jerry O'Connell and Stand by Me, great fat kid. Very talented actor, though. A very different movie as I well. I really believe he was no, that. For what his character is doing, Chunk, is, I, I thought, was, was right on. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I heard something else. I don't think he's any good. It's not whether yeah. or not 
fat kid. So he's good. Part. The best he fat kid is Engelberg. Uh, from I mean, Fatty the guy Spence. knows what his abilities are. I just don't think he's any good. And then I don't understand the casting for a lot of these parts. I don't. Tom. <sighs> yeah, I really want. Tom, watch Bad News Bears, the 1976 one, and study I I like the character Engelberg and I, compare that. Actor. Sure. Well, well, that's that's by the way a, a movie for adults. That's not a kids movie. No, Bad that's Bears not, is not a kids movie. No, it is super. It's totally. A nope, kids it's seventy cinema. Who directed it? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. But the guy who wrote it wrote the thing. I know the screenwriter. So, yeah, Everything in the seventies is for adults. It's for you two adults. <laughs> Pretty much. Every kid I know saw it. And I well, saw right, right, of course, because there wasn't this distinct. Right, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, like a ooh naughty tons movie. Of swearing, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's not like... for kids. It was not for kids because oh, it had it kids in it. No, Walter Matthau was like, doesn't he give them beer and stuff? Yeah, but so yeah. what? Yeah, not for no, kids. kids. I would recommend that. I would, I would recommend, recommend it to adults. Dead? I mean, and, and, so Bad News Bears, I would say, is seventy cinema more than it's a kids movie. It's both because I was a kid when I saw it, and it was it was exciting to me. Also, I, I think, that. I think. Um, Jonathan Kwan. Yeah. Uh, actually, he's go- he goes by Jonathan K. Kwan now. He was K. Kwan at the time. I think he's terrible in this. I think he's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's it's like two plots for children's. Like, like it's saying somebody's terrible in a cartoon. I mean, I. I, well, I think why, why can't we make that? Why can't we make that distinction? Why can't we say there are some child actors who are really, really good? Dingus, the way you post—he's not good in this. The way you post a program on Nickelodeon versus, say, a reality TV show—you know—the way you entertain children is different from the way you entertain adults. What Chunk is doing, what Jonathan Kwan is doing, is is stuff that you do for children. It's broad, of course. It's supposed to be broad. That's what children are enjoying. I'm not arguing with you that whether or not it's broad or not. But I no, don't you're think saying they're, they're good bad. at being broad. I don't think they're good at what they're Oh, doing. fair enough, fair enough, because I do think they're good, and I think there's a reason that, that kids enjoy and remember Chunk as a character. Right. Fair enough. I'm just saying, Engelberg, I believe, is, is an actual organic being, and Chunk is obviously a, a, a badly cast child actor. Uh, well, again, you're talking, about, never you're talking about movies that are intended for very different audiences. Whatever. By the way, I mean, Jeff Cohen went on to run too. for like school president at his college by saying Chunk for president. And I bet he won. He did. Yep. He's about to win again in RL. Uh, something else that I liked, and Dingus, you, you talked about the editing. I didn't really notice. But one thing that I did think was very well done, uh, and this, again, at, after seeing Explorers, where it's terrible, in Explorers, apparently Dante like, – like it's it, it seems like he let the, the kids, uh, Ethan Hawke, River Phoenix, and whoever the third kid is, like he let them kind of improv a lot. Uh, and it's terrible. It does not work. Like, like I think to, to create this sense of kid chaos, you either need to leave kids alone entirely or you have to very carefully block and stage it. And I think mm. a lot of early stuff in Goonies is very, very well blocked and shot. And specifically, and this is where I made the note, there's a scene where they're in the kitchen that begins with Chunk uh, like directly eating whipped cream out of one of those, those aerosol cans. And he's at the, at, the, at the refrigerator, and they come in and they sit down, and Corey Feldman's in the sink, and then the scene ends with Josh Brolin turning the sink on and getting Corey Feldman's pants wet. The way that scene unfolds, and it looks natural, but it's very carefully calculated for where the kids stand where, when they stand there, when someone crosses. Uh, I realized blocking. at that point, this is very good, like blocking and, and, and setup for these shots. Uh, 
And it's, you know, this is, I think, where you see the experience of Richard Donner versus the experience of Joe Dante in Explorers. That was like, what, his fourth movie. Richard Donner, I presume, had been working for a long time. Uh, but I think Goonies does a really good job with staging. Um, and well, that, that goes through to the locations and the sets, by the way, as well, I would say. Well, how did you feel about the just the, the fact of that? Because we have a listener named Nick D who – he he loved the movie when he was growing up, but he couldn't stand watching it again the first thirty minutes. Just just the fact the way the kids were talking, that it I just was right. overwhelming to him. It's kid chaos. Yeah, I can understand yeah. that, but it, I think that what it's trying to capture is is kid chaos. It's right. like, and I, I think I wonder too how much of that is Spielberg, who does a great job with this sense of family chaos in in Close Encounters, in Jaws. Uh, where, where, where the kids are talking over the adults, and the adults are trying to get in a word edgewise, and it's just chaos. Um, and I got that sense. I can see how it might be over, overbearing, but I thought the early bits of Goonies captured that very well. Well, that's why he handed it off to Donner, because he was supposed to direct it, and he's like, oh, I don't know if I can do another kid. That's what so. I wondered. So this was like a – because it, it does strike <laughs> me as a poltergeist situation yeah. where – it's putatively Toby Hooper, but it feels more like Steven Spielberg and Poltergeist. Right. This is maybe like putatively. Right. Well, he directed. Donner, but it feels like it has a lot of Spielberg in it. Yeah, he Nick, directed. That's another thing that Nick D said. You nailed it, Tom. Uh, our listener, Nick D, said ex- almost exactly that it feels like Spielberg directed it like Poltergeist. He, I mean, you're, ah, right, right on, right. you're right on the same page. Because there's very much that kind of like E.T. sensibility to parts of it, that, you know, the kids riding on their bikes and, and just that, yeah. that loving look at the, the small town location. Because, by the way, Spielberg does the same thing with the, with the town of Amity in Jaws. Like, he knows how to really create this fondness for a small town. Oh, that's a good point. Um, and He directed and, the Wishing Well scene, by the way. And that's why it feels a lot like Super 8 as well, which is another thing that things, I mean, it feels like this right. is where uh, where J is it JJ Abrams? Yep, JJ Abrams uh, is like doing an homage to Spielberg. Yeah, right. And and Nick says, you know, that basically, I think he watched this movie, and that's where he that's where he really gets his inspiration to make an homage to Spielberg is from this. Right, right. And super uh, to do Super Eight. Uh, how funny was it? And I'm going to go ahead and say very. Uh, Josh Brolin <laughs> on the little pink girl's bike. <laughs> Didn't work for you guys. It's, it's super dumb because they didn't pop his tires; they just let the air out. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. I loved that bit. Laughed out loud. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> so that he couldn't follow them. They were trying to dodge what their big brother. But uh, it would have been better for him to anyone. fill up his tires and then ride on his awesome bike than ride that silly little bike with the training wheels. Dingus, you know how which long he stole from a little girl. And I know, there's right? no consequence for that. I guess yeah. she's not a goonie. <laughs> Uh, so how did they, then did you feel about uh, what they did with had, adding female characters to the adventure? Awkward. Okay. Go on. Like, like what was awkward about it? What? Well, they're just they're in the car with that one dude, and then they just find Brolin somehow in that beach house. So as but far as how it was set up, you're saying it didn't feel. I just it was a little unclear. Like Brolin's dating uh, a girl from Lucas. That she's friends with the other girl, and she has a thing with Feldman, a love-hate kind of thing. But none of the other Goonies seemed to care that they were there. So I was like, oh, wait, so is a Goonie thing an income bracket, or is it geographical, or um, are there other girls who couldn't make it? Because it's it's a very impromptu adventure, and they don't really invite the girls along. They just sort of show up anyway. It's not like they go, oh, wait, we need to bring Annie and Jilly 
if, if we're going to go hit the beach house. Okay. So, yeah, it seemed like if they were really integrated in the group, they would have been more. Well, they, they become they integrated. Have... I mean, they do say early on they're not Goonies, but then they later become Goonies. I mean, they, yeah. they prove their worth. And right. They... Is that the first time they've ever hung out together? No, they know each other. And, uh, right. Yeah. Well... Yeah. But that's one thing, Diggs, I don't know if you'll feel the same as me, but that's one thing I, I kind of liked, is that here was a, a little boys' club, uh, and they learned to accept women, not women, these are girls. These girls included them, they included these girls, and so it's not just dudes, it's dudes and chicks as goonies, and, you know, the girls even had stuff that they did. You know, I liked... But they were there for Poland. Uh, I disagree. So, you know, they do match them up because, again, this is like pre-adolescent, oh, lovey-dovey stuff. This is, again, it's for kids. Uh, Martha Plimpton is for Corey Feldman. Uh, Carrie Green is for Josh Brolin. And to sort of light a fire <laughs> underneath Sean Astin. Um, but she's uh, she's also there. Not just – they do this weird thing early on where she's panicking, and, and this was weird too. And this must have been, I guess, something we didn't really notice in the 80s where she's going – like she's trying to convince herself she has a beautiful body. And it's like, oh my god, yeah, what is yeah. that? That is That's odd. a weird body issue thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I did like that, that that there were chicks that were part of the Goonies, and we were seeing this as as a as an example of where they they had female members included for the first time. Well, I I do like that aspect, but I would disagree with you on the fact that I I think that they're basically there to be kissed, and I think they I wish I mean nowadays they would do more. I mean, it's it's kind of embarrassing that they're stumbling along and talking about being kissed. Next time you're being kissed, you should open your eyes. It's a lot better. And and it's this weird sort of threes company. I kissed your younger brother. Now I'm going to kiss you. Thing. I mean, it's it's weird. It's it's a little disgusting in a little, in a way. I, guess if I do Carrie, like that. I like that they're included, but I would like for them to be able to do something. Well, how do you feel about really just there to have their lips? Now, how do you feel yeah. about them saving all of their lives? Because if Carrie, if Andy had not been there, they would have died at that music puzzle. What's Plimpton's superpower? I actually love the music puzzle thing. That's 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 separate. I mean, I think the music puzzle thing is silly because you know, going back to what Kelly was saying in his opsis, it's like, oh, I took a piano lesson, but I love that sequence. Um, but anybody could have done that. That's not. No, she's the only one who had piano lessons. That was the point of that scene: is that they didn't know how to read yeah. music. Yeah, but somebody accidentally like smashes the keys, and then it almost falls apart, and then and she and saves them. Thing is, if you want them all yeah, to but, die, but I'm okay she, with she's, that. She's guessing at the end. She, she doesn't because it's worn out. It. Because it, it's worn out. It's smudged. You can't physically read whether it's a, a B flat or an A sharp. But the girls are really there to be kissed. I mean, let's all right. Not, because if you want to deny, if you want to deny that they would have died if it hadn't been for her. That's fine. But I, if you, I'm sure somewhere in that commentary track, you listen, Dingus, and they will say, if this character hadn't been there, the Goonies would have failed. No, it's got to be in there. I think I think Kelly's line about they found some other way to walk out of there and they did is pretty much. Uh, but I love that sequence. I do love that thing. That whole piano thing is really really cool. It's a cool all thing. the production design, like the the, the skull and the, you know that pirate yeah. ship reveal. That looked awesome. I thought. Well, the production design is awesome, and it's this yeah. guy named J. Michael Riva who has done almost all of Richard Donner's um, movies, uh, from going back to Lethal Weapon and before. Um, J. Michael Riva has done almost everything. I mean, he's done a ton of production work. He's an awesome production designer. So he's done Superman's like Fortress of Solitude. I, I think he did. I mean, he's okay. done it. He, I mean, he still works. He's a really, he's an amazing production designer, especially for action movies. Um, but he did most of all of that stuff. I mean, I remember it from the moment I saw 
uh, Lethal Weapon because I really loved that and I wanted to get the poster and I saw it, I think his name is on the poster. But J. Michael Reaper is a really I mean he's he's involved in in all of that stuff. But you're right and and one of the things that they they tried to do was keep the kids from seeing that pirate ship that you're talking about until oh, yeah. they, that it was actually they, they were actually filming it so so we could do that weird director thing of like you have to see it for the first time so you can give me an authentic reaction mm-hmm. oh yeah dingus uh there was the same thing where he told sean astin the exposition speech about the pirate treasure and then just filmed him like just say what you think i just said like as organically as possible <laughs> what that's what he did he like told sean astin that was like an improvised exposition reading that's great sean astin it sound that. really natural. So he's like, what I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Robert Shaw improvised the Indianapolis speech in Jaws. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> and, uh, and Harrison Ford had diarrhea, so he shot that dude. Yeah. Drake oh, uh, just improvised the shark cage part. Uh, my under is Empire Records. Okay. I don't know what that is, I'm afraid. Uh, I'll tell you what I learned about relationships yeah. after Dingus does his over-under. The... Why did you choose Empire Records? Oh, cause just because it's like the Goonies. Like, it's all, they all have different superpowers, and like Liv Tyler's the um, girl from Lucas, and um, the girl from The Craft is... Uh... Did, did you like Lucas? Kelly, you mentioned this a number Yeah, I like Lucas. Isn't that what, does he play a football player or something? Is no, that Char- Charlie Sheen's a football player, and Corey Haim is Lucas, the nerdy character. Right. Oh, what's the thing where Sean Astin plays a football player? It's Rudy. Oh, uh, uh, Rudy, yeah. That's what I thought you guys were talking about. No, Lucas, I really, really like Lucas a lot. I like yeah. that movie a whole lot. Yeah. It's an intense movie. It really is, and um, and she's really good in it, and Charlie Sheen's really good in it, yeah. too. Um, yeah, it's a really nice movie. So what happened to her then? Because I haven't seen her in other stuff. She, By the way, doesn't she look just like Hermione? Is that just me? No, you're right. Oh, holy cat. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, she's. I kept thinking, oh, that's the Hermione chick. Damn, um, Tom. That's great. So what did become of her? She did Lucas and then just did nothing? Or, or do we know? Uh, you know, I honestly, other than Lucas, I honestly don't know what else she did other than a couple of TV things. I, I really don't. But right, so, I, loved, I loved Lucas. I really loved that movie so much. You know, I have such fond memories of it, and it's, it's funny to hear you keep bringing it up, Kelly. Is it directed by anyone of note? It's directed by a guy named um, David Seltzer, I think. Uh, and I, I have no idea what else he's done. It sounds like a sports movie, though. It might it might very well be. Actually, no. Yes. No, no, I'm, I'm wrong. Uh, David Seltzer... Uh, and so, so it does have a connection yeah. to this. Um, he didn't he write the Omen and Richard. Dunn oh yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah. David O. Seltzer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so David Seltzer uh, and so I watched a bunch of uh, Richard Donner movies this week. And the wait, first wait, the Omen eight. is Richard Donner. Yeah. Oh my God, I didn't remember that. Wow. In the preview for the Goonies, they took a letter from all their different movies, and one of the O's was from Omen. Like wow. to spell the word Goonies. So what did what did you watch, Dingus? What was your what was your uh, Richard Donner course this week? Uh, all right, so I I uh, <laughs> went ahead and watched the, the Omen. Uh, I watched Lady Hawk. I watched Scrooged. Lady Hawk is Richard Donner. Wow. Yeah, and is it that is, the one where uh, where the, the uncomfortable rape bit where they're going to rape Jennifer Jason Leigh and she gets Rutger Howard to save her? No, that's Flesh and Blood. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and Robin Hood. That's. 
Alan Arkin. So Lady Hawk is Matthew Broderick? Yeah. Uh, Lady Hawk is Matthew Broderick sure. doing a terrible, awesome, terrible English accent every now and then. Um, and it's, it, it, this, this predates, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, it's Rucker Hauer and Michelle Pfeiffer who have been cursed. All right. Um, by the guy who plays Falcon, uh, in, um, in war games. Uh, he, he's a bishop. He's cursed them so that, you know, she's a hawk by day. He's a wolf by night, but they can only see each other for a moment as the sun rises or sets. Oh my Just God. Try to touch hands. <laughs> they can't touch hands. And, yeah. And, and, and during the time they're an animal, they're just a dumb animal. They don't know any better. They can't remember wow. anything. Think of that, Tom. That's so ridiculous. It's, it's, awesomely, it's awesomely ridiculous. Yeah, I'm with Dingus. Um, who knows what happens and, to their clothes or the sword or whatever. <laughs> and Matthew Broderick, it opens, he's like a thief named Mouse or something. Yeah, he's, and he's Mouse. Like, only Mouse super thief. to get out of prison. Like a prison yep. break. Yeah. He goes through a similar, like, small hole in the floor, like they have to go through a hole in the floor and go. Yeah, like shower drain. Yeah. Uh, and he's the only one to ever escape from this prison, and, and Rucker Hauer trusts him to take care of his father's sword so that he can exact revenge upon the person who has, who has done this horrible thing. Can't dream, dream, Tom. Oh my god, the, the soundtrack to this is so horrible. It is so horrible. It is the worst synthesizer. I mean, it's this medieval. Oh my god, it's terrible. Tangerine Dream goes with anything. Yeah, just like tangerines. It's the worst. And Uh, Dingus, what's the best and worst Richard Donner movie? Oh my gosh, Uh, I would say the best is probably the weapon. Um, I like although, although I was surprised at how great the toy is. I mean, th- th- this was what? amazing to me. Watching the toy was Vegas. a great experience for me. Yeah, Don't I watched it again that. this week, and it's so good. It's so good, and it's so – it's got this great – I mean, Richard Pryor is so good in the toy. Uh, and Jackie Gleason is great in it too. But Richard Pryor is so good in it, and it's got this weird sort of – a uh, way of being subversively uh, anti-racist while still having this light, like comic vibe to it. Richard uh-uh. Donner directed the toy. Yeah, it's not Barry Levinson. Did he have anything to do that's with the toy? Toys. No, that's toys. Rob Williams. Oh man, I have no idea then what you guys are talking about. Okay. Oh man, the toy. So it's like where he, a rich person hi- hires him to be a toy for Jackie his son. Jackie Gleason hires. Yeah, him. that's not right. the. What's the Barry Levinson thing then? Uh, Robin Williams. I, think, yeah, I, I don't know what that is. Okay. I think it's the guy who owns that. a toy store. So, uh, Dingus, you would say to- uh, Lethal Weapon's the best, but Toys is up there? Toys is oh, the really... Toy. I was I was shocked. I was <laughs> okay. absolutely shocked. And it's interesting to watch his, his arc as he gets like Goonies and past Goonies into things like Lethal Weapon. I mean, it's weird watching him go through that. But the toy, I was surprised at how good the toy is. Um... Because it, because of how basically it makes fun of white rich people, and how, how it's clear that Richard Pryor understands he's in on the joke and how he plays the part. I mean, he's so good in it. It's there's a lot of slapstick weirdness. There's a lot of absurdity. I don't think it would hold up for most people, but having seen it growing up, and then seeing seeing it again after watching a bunch of these other crappy movies, um, it's. It was weird. It's weird how good it is. Dingus, I can tell you right now, there's your problem. You watched The Toy, then you watched Goonies. I watched Explorers, then Uh, I watched Goonies. See what happens, Uh, Dingus? Yeah. Uh, What's the worst Richard Donner movie? 
Is it a Superman? Like one of the Superman sequels, maybe? Lethal Weapon 4. Is Lethal Weapon 4 like really bad? Yeah. It's weak. <laughs> Did Timeline. you say eh? All your answer eh? <laughs> it's not even, he doesn't even care that much to say it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen Inside Moon. Well, Dingus is the one you did all the I homework. Really, I really what we can't did. stand, I can't stand, and this is the first time I saw it, I really hate Scrooged. I mean, I love Bill Murray, but the... Oh, I don't like, like it either. The yelling and the screaming when he takes over the set, it's really it's really painful, it's preachy, it's... I, I think Scrooge is a terrible movie. Redemption. My yeah. favorite. Dingus, did those figure into your under-over at all, or what did you do with uh, with Goonies for unders and overs? Uh, I just did songs because honestly, um, watching it, 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 there was that moment when uh, when he's watching the TV and Cindy Lauper appears on there, and I thought, wait a minute, it, are we watching the MTV video of this movie? Yeah, in the movie, See? we're not really watching it, but we're watching her on the set of that because all of them, it, it, all of, I mean, it's this dual, it's this dual marketing thing. If you watch. There's part one and part two of the Goonies, uh, of the Good Enough uh, MTV video. I mean, it's it's a huge it's a huge video. She she hires all of these wrestlers to come in and basically make a mini version of this movie. I mean, there's all these professional wrestlers who are running around. the 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 idea of the the video is her um, trying to save her parents' gas station. Uh, which is about to be foreclosed upon by some terrible wrestlers, uh, and eventually calls. <laughs> they get wrestlers to foreclose on properties. Yeah, well, it's a well, insidious tactic. It really is a terrible tactic. It's for kids, Tom. And she winds up going like through. She moves the this 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 painting off the wall and she goes through the hole and she she goes into the set of the actual Goonies movie and the Goonies cast is all there. They're wearing a t-shirts that spell out Goonies. If they stand in the right, uh, uh, I mean it's, I mean right. it's terrible. Um, but the, but the thing is, I, I can't. I, I love the song and I love her so much. I love the song so much. <laughs> so my over under is based on, um, and it's not very well bracketed, how much I hated the the song that goes with the movie and how much I liked the song that goes with the movie. <laughs> Um, I love this song so much. I, I could listen to Good Enough uh, over and over again. I love Cindy Lauper. I love her. I mean, as the years have gone on, I've loved her more and more. Of that weird thing that she does, where she goes like, Ugh! I mean, she just yells. Uh, so anyway, the the under for uh, for this because of the songs would be the the, the that terrible song at the end of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, which is one of my uh, least favorite things ever created by mankind. Um, and uh, my slightly over would be the the uh, the Bengals uh, remake of Hazy Shade of Winter that goes with Lesson Zero. What's the song at the end of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? I don't even remember that. You don't remember that over the over the credits of Oh my gosh. Uh, okay. Good Lord, I don't even remember what. Can you sing some of it? I mean, you were able to do a great rendition of the Cindy Lauper Yelp. Can you maybe sing some of the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon song? I can't. It's okay. it's called um, Love Before Time, and it's <laughs> just it's just very what much. You know, you've 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 been with the tone of the movie, and you and now you're sitting at the end of the movie, and you you I mean. Anybody who's seen Crouching Tiger understands how you feel at the end of that movie, what, what your state of mind is. And then all of a sudden... I just this, call it Kater, by the way. 
What'd you say? It's called Crouching Fire Kata. <laughs> and then there's this song that sort of uh, that sings out in English the what just happened in the movie. Is and it worse than the Bjork song in the Lord of the Rings in the Hobbit movies? No, I like that song. How dare you? Oh, really? Okay, I love that song. Such an anachronism, by the way, because Bjork obviously hadn't been born yet, but whatever. You're an anachronism. Bjork, I, I am, yeah. Uh, all right, so Dingus, your uh, over is uh, your under is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. What was the over? What song? Less than zero. Oh, less than zero, right? It's the Bengals doing this awesome. I mean, this is one of my favorite covers of all time. Oh, it's better than the Mamas and the Papas version. Yeah, I think. What? Isn't it? Mamas and the Papas version. Oh wait, I'm thinking of California Dreaming. Shut up, no, no. California Dreaming. It's Jesus. Simon and Garfunkel's Hazy Shade of Winter, and. It's and uh, the Bengals do this awesome version of it that's, that's got this great uh, this great uh, electric guitar kind of riff at the beginning. I think I'm a Bengals apologist. I like them too. No, I think any, anybody who does this, like the, the worst rendition of Simon and Garfunkel songs tend to be the ones done by Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. <laughs> that's my feeling. <laughs> Kelly, what was your over and under again? My over was Pippi in the South Seas. All right. Should, so are you saying we should see that then, by the way? Yeah. All right. Kids should see it. Get, make kids watch that. I mean, get kids to watch that. They get to watch it. and then Pippi in the South Seas. Are there a whole series of these, or this is just the one you got? Yeah, go but that's the one that, that made an impression on me where I went. Because it just kind of keeps going till the end. Like, I kind of like every plot point in that movie. As opposed to movies that stop before the end. I had a little crush on her friend when I was seven. Her friend, she was friends with Tommy and Annika, and I thought Annika was like, when I was like an infant. All right, so as an insight into Kelly Wan's childhood, check out that movie. And what's your under? Empire Records. Oh, right, right, which I don't know. Okay. Oh, I just want to say, uh, I hear that Man Ramsey in her prime, she still had a tongue, so. One, two, three, not only you and me, you know, I gotta say, it it could have been so much worse. Seriously, yeah, I mean, I you guys, I think I'd probably like this more than you guys, but I, think of how much worse it could have been. But we could have been watching Emmett Otter and the Jug Band Christmas. I actually had a great time this week preparing right. for the movie. I mean. I mean, and I took it seriously because of the fact that so many people contributed, but yeah. I had a great time watching this movie for that reason. Well, and I think anybody who cares enough to get to to want us to talk about something for an hour, I mean, that, that makes me want to see it. Like, anybody who listens to us, I want to know enough about what they like that I will watch it. And I say that I watch plenty of movies I don't like that I still want to see for some reason or another, so... You know, I love the list that we've got assembled. There's a bunch of stuff on here I want to see. Yeah. Well, when too. we saw Why Did You Get Married, Why Did I Get Married too? I was like, why'd they make us, why'd they want us to see this? And then at the end, when Dwayne Johnson, yeah. I'm like, ah, yeah. listen to this rascal. Right. <laughs> Stood up and cheered. Yeah. yeah. Thank awesome. you, Soren. Well, as with this, All right. I know. Yeah. Okay. Let's do a 3x3. Three three. Oh, my God. All right. This 3x3 three three is, uh, partly inspired by the movie Deadpool, where Deadpool's riding in a cab with a guy, and they have some wacky conversations. Uh, these are your three favorite cab rides from movies. I think I took uh, Deadpool off the table. Yeah, nobody would pick that anyway. Uh, so next week's topic is being introduced by you, Dingus. Is that correct? Yeah, that is true. 
Dingus, what is your number three favorite cab ride from a movie? And maybe you have a line from it you can give us. All right, here's a quote from it. Um, this stuff is like gold around here, you know? Is it? Uh, so I have a guess, but I'm almost sure it's wrong because you either haven't seen this movie or if you have, you don't care about it nearly as much as Kelly and I. Is it a movie that Kelly and I would call – wait, hold on. Ethne. We call what? Ethne. Ethne? Yeah. Just like you were calling uh, – what were you calling Raiders of the Lost Ark? Rotla? Rotla. Yeah. Is this a movie that Kelly or I might call oh, Ethne? Oh, very, very well done. Yes, Tom. Very good. Is yes. it really? Absolutely. What? Dingus? What? I'm going to redo my picks now. Oh, my God. You don't even know that movie. Dingus, you can't pick that movie. By the way, James Cameron – There's two of them. Which which cab ride are we talking about? Well, both and mainly. But by the way, James Cameron also worked – No, I'm absolutely talking about the first one. Okay, but James Cameron also worked on this movie. Oh, he did? Yep, he was was working on the visual visual effects. He was one of the the, uh, the DPs. (laughs) Please. Kelly Wand is not – doesn't know what we're talking about. So Dingus, uh, explain what this That's is. Weird. It's actually not one of my picks, but it's definitely one of my runners-up. I love this. All right, I'll, I'll, Kelly, this this uh, quote is for you. Yes. Let's see if you can figure it out from this quote. Oh, Snake Plissken in my cab. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I was. This was hovering around my list for a long time. Because I actually watched those scenes this week. Dingus, I didn't even know you knew this movie. That's hardly... <laughs> I decided the cab ride wasn't the money enough. Oh, that right. that first cab ride though, where he runs down the alley away from the the hoodlums, yeah. uh, hoodlums, and gets in the cab, and and he finds out it's Ernest Berg Borgnine, and he lights that Molotov cocktail and throws it out the window. I mean, not the window, but out out the top of the yeah, cab. his little sunroof, yeah, the sunroof which clangs down, clank, clank, yep. clank, clank, clank. Yeah, it's like is... protected. He's got mesh around the outside of it. It's yeah, yeah. it's like a tank. Thing is, you call them hoodlums. Do you know what those were? Uh, Revenants, uh, Reavers. Yeah. No, no, it's part of the ecology of New York. They're, they're the crazies, and they come out once a month to to uh, scavenge for food. And Snake Plissken just happens to be caught at, at that at that moment. That's part but, of the ecology of the uh, uh, movie. But I particularly like, like that ride because he's he because Snake Plissken is getting a chance to find the Duke. He's got the guy who will actually who actually knows who he is and who will bring him there. But doesn't want to do it at first, and there's this weird situation where uh, where Snake keeps put, putting his gun up against the guy's neck. And, I mean, Ernest Borgnine. It's Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> God. Yeah. But but one of the things I love is that tape deck and those tapes and how that figures out yeah. and how that figures later in the movie uh, why those tapes are so important. And and I just love. I mean, I I, I love the tapes. I love the 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 shot that specific shot of those of those cassette tapes that are sitting in a row and the and the cassette tape player that's in the cab um and the later scene is great i mean it's it's great but that this first scene where he's driving through the streets and he and he agrees basically to take him to where the duke is and where, where ernest borgnine is telling him you can't see him you can't you can't go to him because People who go to see him then die. What are you doing? What are you? Are you crazy? I, I love the way that all of that plays out during that cab ride. So I took very seriously Tom's um, Tom's topic of it, it being a cab ride, and I really like the way Ernest Borgnine, Borgnine's character is talking to him about where do you want me to go? Why would you want me to go there? Uh, if you go there, you're going to die. Oh, oh well, there's uh, all right. Well, I'm going to take you there. 
I, I love that cab ride. It's also because, uh, like, I think Ernest Borgnine, it's the first time that anybody like this has appeared in the movie, is so, like, lovable and happy and yeah. easygoing. And so far, everybody's been, like, Lee Van Cleef or, uh, or Romero, that crazy guy who says, get out of here, we're killing the president. Yeah. Or everybody's been, like, dire and serious. And here's Ernest Borgnine with the goofy cabbie cab and a twinkle in his eye. And, and he's totally uh, making it. He loves and, it. Yeah. And how, did he, how did he get thrown into this prison? Right. What did he do to be incarcerated in a maximum security prison in New yeah. York? Right. Did he have right. a bunch of parking tickets or what, what happened? <laughs> Maybe why, he's just, why is this guy there? I love your – you're absolutely right, Tom. His, his attitude is – he's ebullient. He's just – Okay, we're going to do this. All right, let's go. And throughout the movie, by the way, he's always like – and he's not comic relief. I mean he's just a super happy, helpful guy Uh, Yeah, who loves everyone. Uh, Yeah, he's like Rolf the dog. Who's Rolf the dog? Sorry. What is that from? He's the one – Oh, (laughs) Bubba's. Cabby's the one, the reason that Snake Plissken switches the tape, and that's why. Right. You know what, Kelly Wan? Because, of course, like Brain – and uh, and uh, Maggie brain squeeze yeah. like other people dying. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily deserved it, but were Basically, up to it. Yeah. But yeah, it was Cabby's like Cabby was the innocent who was caught. Yeah. That that Snake most is affected by. I bet. Good point. And now everyone hears Cabby's song when the, when Donald Pleasance presses. Play. Right. It's like his it's tribute like, specifically yeah. to Cabby. Kelly one. I'd never caught that. I love that. Yeah. See. So the thing is, I didn't pick the last one. I love that first cab ride for a couple of reasons. It's uh. First of all, it's establishing – like watching that squat armored cab that looks like an old-fashioned yellow cab, but it's obviously been rejiggered like a road warrior car. Watching it drive around the ruins of New York, that's just beautiful, like classic 80s yeah. apocalyptic stuff. Yeah. The, the imagery there um, – and I don't know if you guys know this. They shot this in these rundown parts of St. Louis yeah. where they got the government to just shut down power for 10 blocks at a time. Yeah. Uh, and that that stood in for New York, and they um, didn't see daylight for months. Right, they just shot at night exactly because there were there was no there were very few daylight scenes in Escape from New York. And then from that to the thing shoot. So so, so the the cab ride at the end, which I looked at, which is the the literal Escape from New York, uh, right. they're supposed to be going across across a bridge, following Brain's map that shows them where the mines are planted, uh, and it's it like it's a cool idea, but it's staged so like nickel and dime. Like obviously, it's they only so had a very small the, bridge. Right, right, left, left. I yeah, and it's clearly it. there's only one path to drive down. The way they yeah. have the bridge set up, uh, when it hits a mine, by the way, and yeah. it very it like gets sawed in half. Like there's no sense right. that it blew apart. Yeah, it's it's almost like a comedy thing where the yeah. two halves of the car basically. That's the but, thing. When I first saw it, I thought, "Oh, what a fucked up mine! It's like a saw blade that cuts your cab in half." That's so cool. They had the budget for that. Hilarious, right? Yeah. But there's some of the mines that seem to go on to go off behind them. Right, right, exactly. It's just them setting off explosives. I mean, it's yeah. it's Carpenter on a nickel and dime budget trying to do that kind of stuff. Right. That's uh, what's cool about it. That's what's cool about it. But it doesn't. It's it sort of as as a I love the concept of that cab ride, but the yeah. execution of it kind of suffers from the budget. And I'm yeah. on board with the movie at that point. Like, I don't mind. That's the first I, time where it's cheap. Because up till then, you're like, whoa, there's nothing cheap about this. That yeah. fight, the gladiator fight, like, looks like a real fight. Yep. Just, yep. And they got a bunch of extras in there, yeah. crazy yeah. outfits. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when they're driving down a two lane bridge with a couple of wrecked cars on it, yeah. we're going right. There's no right or left. It's only one way you're going to drive down it. Yeah. It's not a concept you can cheap out on. Yeah. 
and and at least by the way it's like it like i love the music that's playing which has this kind of calypso drum thing going i love the duke of new york's car <laughs> with the dude. chandeliers chasing them yeah. oh the chandeliers stuff. are so great yeah yeah I, I love uh i think her name is maggie like i love adrian barbo's yeah. sacrifice yeah. that's a great moment and she's oh, super yeah. hot by the way no kidding dingus yeah. man i don't think that we appreciated at that age like what that oh, I did. They call it Taj. No, I was intrigued by it. Oh my gosh, she's just. I mean, she's amazing in that. Yeah. When she steps out and she and and she just ha- holds out her hand, and he hands her the gun. I mean, it's this great moment between yeah. these two characters. Carpenter's and a lucky she guy. looks amazing. <laughs> and she's no like like cheesecake either. Like she's a super badass determined yeah. character. Yeah. I love when when Snake first meets Brain. And he pulls a gun. Like, she's got a knife on her, and she pulls that knife, and she's ready yeah. to like, jump over there and, and attack him. And uh, Yeah, no, she's awesome in that. So, Dingus, very good pick. Luckily, it was only my runner-up. I have three more that I like. No, I thought for sure one of you guys would would, uh, would have that. Because I one of the first I things I thought was that, was that cab ride across the bridge, um, which I, I mean, again, I've told this story before. The first time I remembered this movie, seeing it on Laserdisc at a, as, at a friend's house, and then um, this is, I think, in seventh grade, and uh, and then I, I, I had to because I had this you know, friend that we used to set up the lunch tables at school, and one of the things we used to do there during that time was uh, relate in sort of an oral tradition weird thing. Um, what is the movie you saw this weekend? Tell me the whole story of the movie. And I told him the whole story of Escape from New York, which I had just seen on Laserdisc, which there's no way either of us was going to see this. I just luckily, I lucked into it. Um, I, I, I freaking love this movie, but I remembered that bridge scene and I thought, for sure, that was going to be my pick, but right. that earlier that earlier pickup where Ernest Borgnine picks him up and drives him away um, and throws the Molotov cocktail out of the sunroof or the moonroof or whatever you would call it. I, I didn't even remember that. I really loved that. And how he's just so like, oh, this is like gold, and he yeah. throws it out, and then he drives off. Yeah. And it's like, what are you doing in this neighborhood, this part of town, Snake? This isn't good. Like, <laughs> this is yeah. bad for you. Yeah. 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 Uh, and even the bit preceding it, Dingus, as, as an action set piece, uh, Carpenter did a movie called Assault on Precinct 13 beforehand, which was just – is basically like a Cowboys and Indians movie where the cops are holed up in some place and a bunch of gangs – a siege movie, right? Uh, no bravo. And they play with that a lot in – like that's a lot of what's going on in the scene with the crazies. Like it's not a siege situation, but it's very much like a nameless horde – emerging unseen from the shadows and accumulating and chasing our hero. And it reminds me very much of what I like about zombie fiction. Um, just that whole sequence, like trying to get away from these implacable, relentless guys who keep following him, no matter not what he does. Not quite human. Exactly. Not quite human. Yeah, exactly. But I just remember them like reaching up from underground to pull people down. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. They thought, they, That's Kurt Russell's uh, wife, too, at the time. Season Hubley? Yeah. He was married to Season Hubley? Yeah, I did not know that because it's always struck me as odd that she was in there for that one little scene. That's why, and then she gets pulled under uh, by the crazies. Wow, yeah, that's so scary. So I will say, in listening to people talk about the Goonies, and maybe this is indicative of why I'm totally into horror movies, Escape from New York was kind of my Goonies. Yeah, like well, yeah, that was that was the kind of movie, and it's not yeah. for kids, but that was the kind of movie that was like a real fascinating like adventure for me. It didn't is for feature kids. kids. Yeah. Um, but it's I, for kids. Yeah. Do you think Escape from New York is for kids? What, why? Because we saw it as kids and we loved it. 
Uh, right, but I don't think Carpenter was making it for kids. Like Carpenter no, was doing but, very much a. It's I would say maybe for adolescents. Like Carpenter was very young and doing. That's the thing. These movies and people like Star Wars was for everybody. Like it was right. just it, it all it grabbed you whatever age yeah. you were. And yeah. Escape from New York's like that too, and that's what makes it quality. It, like you don't have to like dumb it down. Like because I think of the dumb stuff that I liked as kids, which no way. Like I liked Hogan's Heroes, for instance, and that, there's no way well, that yeah. I like had <laughs> no. It doesn't, but it's weird. And Goonies is weird too. Like that's yeah. the part that holds up. Is like whoa, I'm 30 years older now, and this was what. Uh, this was a summer movie 30 years ago. I, I liked Love Boat for Pete's sake. You did? Yeah. I watched that all the time in Fantasy Island, too. Yeah. I mean, my my, yeah, love, the, my real love was, I actually loved MASH, but more than that, Mag, Magnum P.I. was the thing I fucking Oh, right, yeah. For, uh, C- one, we got Dingus started on Magnum P.I. now. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I go back <laughs> and, and Simon and Simon, too. I got to tell you, I loved Simon and Simon, too. I get into them. Like All right, Dingus, uh, uh, a little ethne. I'm very proud of you. Escape uh, from New York. Yeah, it's a bold choice. Kelly One, what do you got to follow that as your number three favorite cab ride? My list sucks. I'm sorry. Oh, snap. Too bad. Well, you have to read it anyway. <laughs> I know, but you guys get mad at me, and now I'm going to get in trouble again, probably. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What? Because I don't know. I don't know why I pick things. That's <laughs> not how my brain works, all right? I just go by my instincts. I use the force. I turn off the targeting computer. So my number three. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll do a line from it, but it's not from the scene because it'd be too easy. Uh, <clears throat> multipass. Yep. Huh? I could see that coming. Really? Sure. I think it's that's a, good a choice. A, yeah, when you say cab ride, I could, not in the sense that I could see you picking it, but I, I, that's a that's a classic <laughs> cab ride. Because he's. Uh, that's his introduction. That's his character's introduction. And also, since he winds up saving the world later, it's I'm like... I don't even remember what you're talking about. Ah, Dingus. Wow, on the outside. Explain it. I mean, I love multipaths because Lelo Dallas multipaths is my, one of my favorite quotes, but I don't uh, remember the, the taxi cab ride. He's a cab driver. He's a cab driver. That's his job. Oh, I didn't know and that. They, I, they, I haven't seen that movie. I, I didn't... I have to admit, I did not like this movie when it came out. I thought it was a failure. Yeah, I I really thought it was a a mess. I couldn't tell Um, if I liked it or not and eventually decided I did. Like, it's a really chaotic. There's a lot of weird, like, Chris Tucker's really weird in it. So it's very weird. Yeah, I I knew right away that I didn't like it, but yeah, please explain. It's typical Luc Besson, like, tone collisions. But, um, like, that opera lady, that's pretty somber. Uh, but yeah, they've just reconstituted the perfect organism, which is Mila Jovovich uh, having sex with her director. And uh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, with Bassan got her in that movie before she traded up to Paul Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> the other Paul Anderson. Yeah, but I remember there was a rumor. Like, I guess the last movie. Luc Besson directed Mila in was The Messenger, where she's Joan of Arc, and all the posters had her like facing away from you. And I was like, yeah, see, that's that's why that's like they're breaking up, and that's the proof of it. Like the poster's like a Paul McCartney death clue. But getting back to Fifth Element, if I may. So she jumps off the uh, ledge after escaping from the army with flashlights and lands in Bruce Willis's cab after freaking out at how big New York is in 2550. What's the year? Fifth element? 2553. Thank you. And he has to get away and the, the escape. And yes, that's, that's the actual cab ride, right? Right. And then they shut it down 
and he gets fired, but he doesn't care that much. So, um, did this cab ride remind you of any other cab ride, Kelly Wand? And I'm, I'm feel okay saying this because I know no one's going to pick this because I, I think there's a there's an antecedent to this where someone falls into the car. Pretty much, more or less. Uh, is that how Tom Cruise meets Jamie Foxx in Collateral? Does he fall through the sunroof? Go, hey, uh, it's a futuristic. It's a futuristic cab. It's uh, driven in. Uh, actually, it's set in New York. Total but it's a, it's a super hot chick gets into the cab uh, and becomes part of a mystery, and the super gruff driver gets wrapped up in this mystery. Night Very day. futuristic. Nope. Uh, the, and, and my cab ride, which would be from this, is he picks up a fare saying, "Take me to the UN building." And it's this thug with like a mohawk, and he totally looks uh, – he's got tattoos. He says, take me to the UN building. And the voiceover – the cab driver's name is Harry Canyon, by the way uh, – says, UN building, what a joke. It's been converted to low-rent housing, blah, blah, blah. Like he's, he's basically establishing New York as this rundown place. So as he's driving this guy to the UN building, the guy pulls a gun on him and says, hey, give me all your money. And Harry Canyon is – I think in the voiceover, he says something like, not again. And he – taps up with his toe a little cover down by the accelerator with a red button under it. He presses the red button. It fires a disintegrator ray into the back seat, which fries the guy with the gun. The guy drops the gun into the front seat when he disintegrates. Harry Canyon picks it up and he throws it into a glove compartment full of like guns and weapons, implying that this has happened before. Do you know what I'm talking about? Looper. Might be too obscure. So in heavy metal, the animated uh, oh, yeah, thing yeah, yeah. is this just, your number three? No, no, no. Good lord, no. It's just a it's a it's a runner up that I think it's way too obscure for anybody to mention. Right. Uh, it's just yeah, that you're that kind of like guessing all kinds of things as we're in the middle of this. Well, it's just it's that cab ride where a hot chick. So he said he's after he's parked, this hot redhead gets into his car and she's basically introducing him into the plot. Oh, all right. Yeah. She's not, by the way, the fifth element, but she does have a connection to this device, this like magical green orb that unites all the shorts in in, uh, in heavy metal. Right. All right, so I'm sorry, Kelly, when I cut you off. So the element, Very good, very good, the Loch Nair. So fifth element reminded me of that, that cab ride in... in uh, Wait, that one's metal. better than mine. Can I just make heavy metal my three? <laughs> I'll put fifth element and then asterisk, Tom brought up heavy metal. Heavy metal. No. I don't okay. think heavy metal... Holds. Anytime Kelly wants to change it, it has to be brain scan. Yeah, I'm putting it down for brain scan. I, by the way, I don't think heavy metal holds up, Kelly Wand. What about heavy metal 2000? What? Or Blues Brothers 2000? No, sorry. Anything where they had to put 2000 in the title? No. <laughs> heavy metal, I think, didn't hold up the second time I watched it. Like, even in 1990, I was kind of like... There's some admirable stuff. I mean, I love the idea that I like it's that super one. violent, super nudity yeah. and sexual, cartoony stuff, and that it's gory. And Yeah, that That's B-17 last bit is, is brilliant. Yeah. The B-17 one I love. Uh, I feel like the first half's kind of stronger, and then... What's her name? The one who rides the dragonfly. Oh yeah, Tarkasha. Yeah, yeah. She's a Tarakian. She's a Tarakian. I don't remember her name. Wow, you guys keep talking about Star Trek. <laughs> uh, do you know who wrote the uh, the, uh, the who wrote the bookends for for heavy metal? Like the basic thing where the guy acts in the Corvette and he lands and he brings his daughter a present and it's the Loch Nar and the Loch Nar narrates to the terrified little girl all of the stuff and then it turns out that she is the next Tarakian. Dan O'Bannon. Oh, oh wow, that makes sure. sense. Yeah, I was laughing at you making up all these words, but okay, fine. 
Yeah, see, you laughing at Dan O'Bannon, who died recently, Dingus. I hope you're happy. That's way uncool. Way uncool, Dingus. How recently? I'm really not happy. I thought he died a long time ago. Well, you know, five years or so. Recently. That's recent. It's not like he died in 1964 or something. That's Galea. Yeah. 64 and 2010. Are you guys ready for my third favorite cab ride? Yes, please. This is a cab ride from London to Manchester. There's Mm. a brief stop along the way to go shopping. They get a flat tire in a tunnel, and there is some drama about fixing that flat tire. I know what it is. It is eventually fixed, and they drive to Manchester to find that Manchester's in pretty terrible shape. Mm. Kelly Wand, what movie is this cab ride in? 28 days later. Very good, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Uh, so we think of cabs as those those yellow New York things, but people in London think of cabs as those classic black cabs. Um, and Brendan Gleeson's character in 28 Days Later is a cab driver. Um, when uh, Killian Murphy and uh, – is it Naomi Watts? No. No. <laughs> Naomi uh, What? Jeez. Naomi Harris. No, yeah. I'm trying to think yeah. who played the woman in, in 28 Days Later. Yeah, Naomi Harris. Uh, do I have that right? I'm gonna yeah. say I'm gonna say I have it right. Yeah. Uh, they hook up with uh, Brendan Gleeson and his daughter Hannah, and they eventually realize they've got to get out of town. They've got a radio transmission saying, "Hey, come to Manchester." So there's a the basically the middle section of 28 Days Later is a cab ride, um, with uh, the terrifying part in the tunnel where the rats are going the wrong way, and they're like, "Hey, why are the rats freaking out?" And they realize that all these infected people are, are going to rush them. They have to quickly fix the tire. Um, there's the glee of the shopping trip where they just go into a, a store and then take all of this great stuff, whatever they want, load up the cab with it. Uh, then they get to Manchester, and there's this great shot of them driving down the, I don't know what the, the M28 or whatever they call their highways in London. Uh, and there's burning Manchester in, in the distance. So I, I love that that stretch of 28 days later. Because that's a cab ride, right? I can use that. Of course you can. Kelly Wand, as long as we get that sound effect after every choice, please do that because that's wonderful. That just really just adds so much to the podcast. Uh, Dingus, what's your second favorite cab ride in a movie? <laughs> All right. Uh, here's a quote from it. Uh, Black Tony. What? Black Tony? Black Tony. Black Tony. I think this is Fifth Element. He's doing he's doing Lee Lu in Fifth Element, right, Kelly Wand? I think so. No. Uh, here's another quote from it. $10,000 for a taxi and a blowjob. Can we just calm down a little, please? Hmm. All right. So number two is a movie called Quick Change. Um, <laughs> is that the clowns robbing a bank movie? Th- yeah. This is Bill Murray, a movie that he co-directed um, – and he's in the movie, of course, with uh, Randy Quaid and uh, Gene Davis. And they've robbed a bank. And now they are trying to get from the bank to the airport. Uh, and they're having a hard time getting there because uh, Randy Quaid's character accidentally, I think his name is Loomis, uh, honks the horn while uh, Bill Murray is talking on the on the uh, on a um, a payphone with the police dude. I think is Jason Robards uh, pretending that he's still in the bank, but he snuck out of the bank because he went in dressed as a clown and then he changed into a regular person. Uh, His two accomplices were in the bank. They both went out and they thought it would be super simple. They can just stop at any payphone they want 
and just keep telling him, uh, increasing the demands. You know, first they were supposed to send a monster truck, but this monster truck doesn't have a hydraulic lift on the back, so you have to send another monster truck. But while he's talking on it, the goofball, Randy Quaid, accidentally honks the horn, and Jason Robards realizes they're out. So now it's a chase. Um, so they have to get a cab ride, and they get a cab ride with this awesome... I think this is the, one of the first times I ever saw Tony Shalhoub. And Tony Shalhoub oh. is the driver of the cab. Oh. And he cannot understand the thing they're saying. And he and they can understand almost a thing that he's saying. And so he there's this whole gag of, like, um, he's asking them in this weird sort of uh, Middle Eastern accent, oh, what are you do? And, and Gina Davis goes, oh, he's asking where should we go? And... Uh, Bill Murray's character says, oh, we're, we're going to the airport. Uh, okay. And so they keep driving. He says, oh, oh yeah, yeah, he gives them a thumbs up. Yeah, okay, we're going there. And so he's driving for a while. And then after they have, like, the scene keeps going on and on and on because, you know, the things you don't understand about what's going on in Quick Change is that Bill Murray and Gina Davis are in a relationship. It's, it hasn't quite worked out because he's a He's a loser. He doesn't have any money. He wants to get away from New York. He hates the city. Um, and he pitches this idea. He proposes to her this idea of robbing a bank. Um, and it turns out at the same time that she's pregnant. So during this whole heist, she's having to figure out, what am I going to tell him this? He's trying to figure out, how am I going to get out of New York? How am I going to get my three accomplices out of New York? Um, and... As, as they're driving, they're dealing with all of this, and finally Tony Shalhoub turns around and says that same thing of, like, where are we going, but in his weird accent, and we're going to Kennedy, we're going to Kennedy Airport, and he takes out a, a ticket. It's, it's just a great, weird, but it's so wonderful to see Tony Shalhoub at this moment. Yes. Um, and then the there's this, this, this moment where Randy Quaid jumps out of the cab, slams into a newest stand, and all this other weird stuff goes on, and they all end up getting on a bus while the police are there arresting Tony Shalhoub, who sees them getting on the bus, and they're they're questioning him, and he does this famous Tony Shalhoub line, where he's like, Bluff Tony, which is, in his language, the word for bus. Uh, and he's being questioned in this convenience store, he keeps saying, Bluff Tony, and he does this big steering wheel, Bluff Tony, where he's honking the horn. He's just so good. And then, in interspersed between these two scenes is this great scene with um oh god who's who's the guy who's who's in Big Night with him Stanley Tucci oh Stanley Tucci's also in that scene what no way dingus and, and I think this is around the same time that they were in Big Night which is one of my favorite movies about cooking and food ever made so that the two of them wind up in quick change with Bill Murray Gina Davis and Brandy Quaid. Uh, I just love that cab ride where they're all trying to figure out and that, and that whole relationship thing is going on in the back seat while Tony Shalhoub is in the front seat and he doesn't even know where he's driving them. Dingus, what's the movie where uh, Robert De Niro is the main character but Bill Murray plays like a mob boss? Like it's like they've switched roles. Like Bob Robert De Niro is like an everyman and Bill Murray's like the the high profile mob boss. Do you know what oh, I'm talking boy. about? I don't even know what you're talking about. Shoot a monkey. Kelly Wan, do you know what I'm talking about? When? It's not that therapy movie. No, that's Billy Crystal. Um, 
I don't know. It's a Robert De Niro movie where the the main villain is Bill Murray, and so sort of, it's like they basically swap roles. Like somebody wrote oh, a script uh, for. Oh boy, I don't know what you're talking about. Sermon. Oh, that sounds right. Go on, Kelly Wan. Keep going. Oh, you're right, Kelly. Something and something. Something and something, like McLean and Mrs. Miller. Milo and Otis. <laughs> McLean and Plunk. Milo and Otis. I think it is Milo and Otis. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, while I Google that, no. Uh, Kelly Wand, what then is your second favorite cab ride in a movie? Better than Fifth Element, but not as good as your number one pick. Number two, two pick is not as good as Fifth Element. So here it is. Uh... In Dress to Kill, there's a part where um, Angie Dickinson uh, gets kind of raped in a cab, and the cab driver watches it through the rear view, but she's kind of into it at the same time. Mm. Um, And then uh, it's kind of like the last scene in the movie where you go, oh, wait, so that guy's the killer. And so it it winds up being like a huge red herring. So that, to me, is uh, good filmmaking. Red herring, sex, cab sex. So it's classic Brian De Palma. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's better than Fifth Element's cab scene. Yeah, it's almost as good as Fifth Element. <laughs> Not quite. Correct. And your number one is even better than this, though. Yeah. All right. We're two-thirds through my list. All right. My uh, number two pick, and these, these are going to be way obscure, so I apologize in advance. Neither of you, although I have given you both, I've prodded both of you to see these movies in previous episodes, and neither of you can be arsed to actually see them. Uh, my number two pick is from a movie with Michael Shannon, which features a fascinating Michael Shannon performance. If you like him as an actor, you need to see this movie. Uh, it's a detective movie. Um, it is basically... A uh, Chandler-esque detective investigating a missing person. It begins with Michael Shannon. He's asleep. He gets awakened by a phone call. They have a case for him. They want him to tail someone. He's in Chicago. He's a private investigator in Chicago. They want him to tail someone to who's taking a train to Los Angeles. Find out what he's doing in Los Angeles. That's the setup. Uh, Amy Ryan, by the way, who's amazing in it, is the one who sort of gives him the case and sets it up. Uh, so he tails a guy to Los Angeles. Uh, when he gets there, there's a great bit, and this isn't my pick, though, but it's worth pointing out, where the guy gets into a cab who he's tailing and takes off. Michael Shannon then gets into a cab and says, follow that cab. And the cab driver says, whoa, no, buddy, we don't do that here. Please, come on, you can't do that. That's, I'm not going <laughs> to and Michael Shannon's like, okay, here's my detective's license. And the driver's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to have to call my dispatcher, and he's going to have to let the police know. I can, But it's it's totally supposed to be an easy scene where it's like, follow that cab, and the cabbie's having no part of it. Um, but there's an even better scene, though, where once he's followed the guy to Los Angeles, and he sort of has an idea of what he's doing, the guy in Los Angeles is then going to go down to Mexico. So the Los Angeles guy gets in a cab. The, the guy who's being followed gets in a cab. The cab takes off towards Mexico. Michael Shannon, in a rented car, is following him. And as they get into increasingly rural and impoverished bits of Mexico, Michael Shannon realizes here he is with his – and he's super clean cut in this, by the way. He's like supposed to be like a a big, handsome, uh, private eye character, Uh, and he's got a tie and everything. He realizes he's going to stand out way too much in his rented car in Mexico following a cab. So at one point, the cab has pulled over, 
and the passenger, the guy being tailed, is in the diner eating lunch. Michael Shannon sidles up to the driver and has this great conversation with him, which is hugely important to what this movie is about. I don't think I said, but the movie is called The Missing Person. Um, and The Missing Person, as a detective story, does what I feel any good noir detective story does. And namely, that is, it starts out being about one thing and ends up being about many different things, and it's ultimately about something that is very personal to the detective, about the detective himself. Uh, you might argue that Oedipus Rex, by the way, is a very early detective story in that <laughs> sense. He's investigating, I mean, you're laughing, Dingus, but he's investigating this plague in the city, and the ultimate revelation is, is because of his incest with his own mother. That, that's what caused it. Uh, um, I'm laughing because of uh, recognition, yeah. Yeah, and in Chinatown, uh, you know, it, be, it starts out being about a missing person, then it becomes about a murder, then it becomes about government malfeasance, about water in Los Angeles, then it becomes about incest, and ultimately it's about Jack Giddis' background as a detective in Chinatown and his, right. his shame and guilt for that. Uh, the missing person does the same thing in that what you think is a story about a Chicago private eye tailing some guy to Los Angeles ends up being about a couple of different things. And it's ultimately about something very personal, very relevant to the main character, to Michael Shannon. That, if I were to tell you what it is, would be a huge spoiler and single-handedly makes the movie worth watching. And furthermore, I would argue you don't really know what The Missing Person is about as a movie until the final syllable. Uh, it's, it's like that cool of a, of a – it's not even a reveal. It's just the final syllable is kind of like an, oh, right, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Like Schenectady. Uh, you know what? Very good, Kelly Wand. I do like, yeah. I, I do That's like. Not the way you say that. Come on. Jonathan. But anyway, the cab ride that I'm talking about is he sidled up to the, the cab driver, and the cab driver's from New York, and this is where you find out Michael Shannon's also from New York, and he connects with the cab driver. Um, here they are in the, the desert in Mexico. These two guys from New York, they have this great connection. The cab driver at first is really leery about answering his questions. You know, who are you driving? Where are you taking him? The cab driver is looking at him askance. He doesn't trust this guy. They develop this rapport about being from New York, which is a great bit of dialogue. Uh, the director and writer is a guy named Noah Bushel, um, and he, he clearly has roots in theater, I think. One of the great things about Missing Person is that it's peppered with really memorable – actors with well-written little scenes. Uh, and I think that's a crucial part of a detective story, too, is the people with whom the detective interacts have to be memorable. There has to be something distinct about him. Uh, so this cab driver who he connects with, he eventually talks him into letting him ride in the trunk of the cab while the cab goes to, to take the guy he's tailing wherever he's going down in deep Mexico. So my favorite cab ride is Michael Shannon in the trunk of a cab, completely dark. He can't see anything. And at one point, and this is what the visual is of this cab ride, he has been given these sunglasses earlier in the movie and told that they shine in the dark. So the shot is of a completely dark screen with a guy wearing glow-in-the-dark sunglasses uh, and being jostled around inside the cab. And that's my favorite cab ride. Neither of you jokers have seen The Missing Person, so I'll just point out one more time that you should. Do what? <laughs> See The Missing Person. One of the things I, I – one of the reasons I laughed is whenever whenever that play comes up, I, I just think of the line, 
in um, Crimes and Misdemeanors, which is, who did this terrible thing to my city? Oh, it was me. And that is funny, but that is sort of the point of a lot of noir fiction. Is yeah, right. what what? Who's the culprit here? How long it was you? Yeah, yeah. Kelly Wan, what's a what's a? Uh, oh, whoops. I, Kelly Wan, I wrote down. Well, first of all, I screwed up because Kelly Wan, I wrote down is your number two pick, the missing person. I'm going to cross that out. Yeah, wow. no, that, Kelly I Wan. Like that. Kelly Wan, yeah. I didn't even know you saw that. Yeah, it's missing from my uh, repertoire. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, do you know? Uh, uh, you're, you're kept up on The Walking Dead. Do you know who Merritt Weaver is? One of the actresses. She plays like the the doctor in training. She's a, a blonde woman. Um, do you not know who I'm talking about? The blonde woman doctor on Walking Dead. Yeah, she's like a little overweight. She's got a real pretty face, blonde. They put her in a, a lesbian relationship with one of the brunette chicks. Do you not know who I'm talking about? Mm, sounds boring. No, she's awesome. Anyway, she's in. I didn't realize this until I rewatched it. She's in. She's in the missing person. Uh, I, I love her. Um, all right. Uh, you don't like Tom? Her? Why didn't you ever tell us to watch that movie? I know, right? I should have brought. Why it don't up. you tell us to watch Walking Dead more? No, I'm not so telling good. you to watch Walking Dead. <laughs> oh. All right, Dingus. Favorite cab ride in a movie, and maybe maybe you got a line from it. All right, I got mm-hmm. the line from it. I got an idea. I know the manager pretty well. I sold him some rings for his curtains. If you want to pick up the t- the cab fare, I'll make sure you get a room for the night. Man, Why is he saying so creepy? I don't think I've seen this. Yeah, and he does sound creepy. I don't trust this yeah. guy. That's just me. I'm just creepy. Hmm. Is that a hint? No. Are you still in character? <laughs> <laughs> no, the guy who says the line is absolutely not creepy. I mean, he's the opposite of creepy. Jimmy Stewart? Uh, no, he's John Candy. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Very good. Oh, uh, yeah. Then uh, this is Doobie's Gap. I absolutely love this, uh, and I watched this movie again this week. And again, uh, I have a very special relationship with this movie because the, my very first um, theater job for the summer when I was in college was at this terrible, uh, I shouldn't say terrible, but at, at this remote theater in Kentucky uh, where there was just nothing. Uh, I, and they housed us in these little trailers out in nowhere. There was no way we were going to get any TV reception whatsoever. Um, I happened to bring a VCR, and I only had two tapes with me. Ouch. Um, for the first part of the rehearsal, which went on, seemingly forever, and the two tapes I had were Die Hard and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So I watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and Die Hard for every meal that I was actually at, that trailer, uh, after rehearsals, uh, until my parents could actually send me more stuff to watch. Um, Wow. So I watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles over and over and over again because there was nothing else to watch, and I didn't bring that many books. You know, Uh, I was going to say, there's a great cab ride in Die Hard, but that's a limo ride. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's different. Yeah, uh, and I think that we will visit that another time. Interesting. I guess I know what Dingus' topic is. <laughs> um, but this particular cab ride, I love because I love the way this cab is built. You guys, you guys remember Planes, Trains, and Almost? Do you remember Doobie's cab ride? I just remember the joke about the pillows. I'm afraid. All right. Well, it's called Doobie's Taxiola, and it's this weird. It's this weird, totally souped up. 
cab that has all it, it's really decorated it even it even has hydraulics on it that go up and down um, and uh, so John Candy's character offers Steve Martin look I, I you know we're, we're stuck here I I booked room, a room at this little motel uh, immediately as soon as we landed I know the manager if you want to take care of the cab ride We'll go ahead. So they go in this cab ride, and the cab driver, who who uh, happens to be named Doobie, and he's played by a guy named uh, Larry Hankin, I think, uh, who incidentally plays. Um, he was in uh, the reason I remember this because I watched this movie again this week, and I love this guy so much. Uh, he plays. In in Seinfeld, he plays the Kramer in the pilot that they're going to do. Um, he's a really great character actor. Um, anyway, he's got this great cab, and the it the reason I choose this particular cab ride as my number one is that this this cab ride is basically what cements or what makes possible the relationship between these two guys, which is super important for later in the movie, which. Again, I watched this movie so many times. Um, when they get to that final moment in the movie, just makes me ball because the two of them have have bonded so well for a whole host of reasons. Um, but this cab ride is the the time when they are being driven to this motel that Tom remembers the pillows from. <laughs> They're famous pillows, Dickus. Well, actually, they're not pillows. Uh, <laughs> oh, they're not. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's it Doobie's Taxiola. It's that ride from the airport to uh, the the motel. Kelly, one. What do you think of about uh, uh What do you think about a, a taxi service is called Doobie's? Um, uh, what's it refer to? <laughs> Who knows, right? His name Kelly, is Doobie. That's why. His name oh, I see. It wasn't a reference. Okay, Come on. It wasn't a reference to the Doobie Brothers. I thought maybe he's just a big fan of the Doobie Brothers. Who knew? Nice lights flashing throughout the cab. It's totally like painted. It's got hydraulics. It's really a beautiful cab. Anyway, you can charge extra for that. Are the joints a meter long? <laughs> Kelly, one. What is your favorite cab ride in a movie? This is obviously something better than Fifth Element. Better than the missing person. Wait a minute. Dress to kill. Dress to Kill, right. Dress to Kill, yeah. Or as I like to call it, Detook. Yeah. Detook. <laughs> <laughs> Detook. Uh, by the way, that Bill Murray De Niro movie was called Mad Dog and Glory. Oh, yes. Exactly. Oh, Mad Dog and Glory. Yeah. Right, because I remember it just, it, it's clearly like the scene, the, the, the roles were written. It feels like something where the roles were, were written to be reversed, and at some point they said, hey, let's just try swapping roles. You know, De Niro, you play the everyman. Bill Murray, you play the malevolent mob boss. Yeah. I remember really liking that. Uh, oh, you you liked it? Uh, I just remember liking that conceit about it, that they seemed to be playing each other's roles, and that was kind of fascinating to me. Hmm. Remember there's a scene where uh, – it's where they're even in a movie together. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's a scene where they're driving in a car, and De Niro says uh, to Bill Murray, they're, they're talking, and they're, they're getting kind of close, like they're getting to know each other. And De Niro says to Bill Murray, I wish I was handsome. Hmm. And like looking at De Niro saying that and thinking, 
dude, you're one of the most famous actors on the planet. Like <laughs> you kind of define handsomeness for a lot of people. That that really should be Bill Murray's line. <laughs> Sorry, that's not working. Do you know what year that is? Because I wonder if it came out before or after Midnight Run. Oh, it's got to be after Midnight 90, Run. Ninety, yeah, 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 definitely after. Midnight right. Run inspired it. Well, it's just that idea of of De Niro getting to play the the good guy. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. All right, My so Kelly one. one, your number one is from Mad Dog and Glory. Yeah, no, it's from Brain Scan. There's no cab rides in Brain Scan. <laughs> My number one is from the movie Taxi with Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah. That's what that was called. Yeah. Do you remember it? I was thinking there's I knew I I was wondering if you would bring up DC Cab or whatever the one was with Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah. And see, I see he lost his driver's license, so she's a cab driver who's really good. Mm-hmm. So she quits her cab uh place. But because she's so good a cab driver, all the other cabbies buy her a really souped up cab, even though she's leaving, and so it has all these like um Jonathan like uh, tricks in it, like mm-hmm. with slicks and stuff. Right, like a James Bond it's, cab. Yeah, and so the whole movie is them trying to catch bank robbers who are played by supermodels. What's that Brazilian one's name? Anyway, it's her. They're bank robbers. And so the best cab ride's the entire movie because it feels like a long ride, like a carnival ride. You're kind of making me want to see this. Is that the intended effect? Uh... Jumps the shark and jumps back a bunch of times, and I don't want to spoil the ending. <laughs> okay. Suffice to say, there's an explosion and a chase. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, should you tell us about one specific cab ride in here, or just the movie in no, general? No, it's the whole movie. And it's called Taxi. Yeah. Not Taxi Driver. Don't right. get that by mistake. Or you so, there's understand. not a favorite cab ride in it. Well, it sounds the like part. one big long cab ride. You're saying. Right. Yeah. All right. I think right. you should pull them over, Dom. No, 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 because what? I had this. I had this written down as uh, as like a note. Like, look into that thing with Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah. No, uh, the, the topic is favorite cab rides. Well, the thing is, imagine, for instance, you wanted to do like favorite car chase, and someone said Mad Max Fury Road. And you're like, I oh, wait, which no. one? And they would say, well, the whole movie is a chase out to the Green Place and then back to the Morton Joe's house. Uh, you would accept that. I would accept that. So if Taxi, I haven't seen it, but if Taxi is all like one big, wacky, gadget-driven ride, who am I to call Kelly Wand out on right. that? Fair enough. If it's all- There's a part where they get knocked out of the cab, and they're hanging on a bridge, and then she's all, are you all right? And then he's all, yeah. And then she's all, damn. Uh, yeah, okay. Lethal Woman 3, where Mel Gibson is hanging off a bridge. It's awesome. Hmm. All right, Taxi, the best cab ride of all time for Kelly Wand. Better than Fifth Element, not as good as Taxi Driver. Well, let me then tell you guys about this arty movie that nobody has seen. Nobody's going to know what I'm talking about. Super obscure. See if I can segue into this. Speaking of fascinating Michael Shannon performances. Dingus and I saw a movie last year called 99 Homes, which I don't I think we would both agree is not very good. It's a kind of a facile drama, quasi-thriller about home foreclosures. But the best thing about 99 Homes... I actually considered 99 Homes for my one of my over-unders because of foreclosures. 
Oh, right, right. Goonies related. Right. I see Dingus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> would it be over or under? <laughs> it would have been over because I kind of love what uh, what Michael Shannon is doing in that movie. Yeah, Michael Shannon's amazing to watch. And the moments, by the way, where the movie isn't facile about the whole issue of foreclosing homes is when he delivers some of his rationale for, for why he does what he does. Like, right. The script tries to and succeeds at making him a fleshed out character and not just a mustache twirling villain. And he's yeah. fascinating to watch in it. Yeah. Um, 99 Homes was written and directed by a North Carolina filmmaker who I think comes from that same school of filmmaking and not literally the same school, but that same type of filmmaking, that same area of the country as David Gordon Green. Who's also from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramin Barani, also from North Carolina, uh, did 99 Homes. That's his most recent thing. Uh, but before 99 Homes, he's done a couple of movies I haven't seen, and I keep meaning to see these and haven't gotten around to them. One is called uh, Man Push Cart. Another one is called Chop Shop. But the movie that he's made that I have seen a couple of times is called Goodbye Solo. And Goodbye Solo opens in the middle of a conversation, in the middle of a cab ride. The cab driver is a Senegali immigrant uh, whose name is Solo, which is short for Suleiman. The actor's name, by the way, is Suleiman Sai Savan. Um, so I don't know if they just took the actor's name and said, okay, that's going to be your character's name as well. But they call him Solo in the movie. Is he it is like Solo, S-O-L-O? Yep, just like Han, Han Solo. Uh, the movie's called Goodbye Solo, and it opens with Solo driving a cab. He's a, a Senegali immigrant. He works as a cab driver. He's incredibly like cheerful and, and bright um, and friendly, and he has a fare in his back seat who's a really gruff old white man who doesn't really want to talk. And he's driving this guy from apparently his apartment to a movie theater. And he's just trying to uh, – Solo is just having a – is just trying to have a conversation with him. And at one point, the gruff old white guy says, look, in a week, I need you to drive me to – and he names this this cliff. This is set in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, by the way. Hmm. He names this like cliff, which is out in the mountains. He needs – he's going to give Solo $100 to drive him out to this cliff, and he doesn't need a ride back. It's just a one-way trip to the cliff. Uh and Solo was like, yeah, big dog, I'll take you there. He calls his fares big dog, which is so endearing. Uh, he says, yeah, I'll, I'll take you there. Uh, but why do you just want one way? What are you going to do there? And the guy in the back seat isn't really talking. He doesn't have nothing to say. And he's like, well, are you going to jump? And the guy doesn't say anything. And Solo realizes that, yeah, the guy is actually intending to kill himself in a week when he gets to drive out to this place called Blowing Rock, which is in, the, I guess, the Appalachians or whatever mountains would be near there. Uh so that's not my favorite cab ride in Goodbye Solo. That is the setup in Goodbye Solo, which then becomes a mystery about who the guy is in the back seat, why he's doing what he's doing, is he doing what he's doing, is he going to do what Solo thinks he's going to do, and how will Solo react? Um, as well as a mystery, it is a, a really subversive take on the trope of the magical Negro because imagine it's basically a magical Negro story told from the perspective of the magical Negro. And that's this concept where you have a movie and then some super wise black guy, usually played by Morgan Freeman, comes out and redeems everything. Um, Ramin Barani's story, Goodbye Solo, you could look at Solo as a magical Negro trying to intervene and trying to deal with what's going on with this character 
uh, in the back of his cab who has basically hired him to drive him someplace in a week. Um, and I don't want to say anything about how it turns out, but my favorite cab ride of all time is the drive from Winston-Salem, North Carolina to this mountain. It's a couple hours away outside of town. Uh, and it's where like it's the sort of thing after seeing this movie and specifically that cab ride and how the movie plays out that I think that no matter how erratic it may be, as is the case with 99 Homes, I want to see everything that Ramin Barani has directed. Hmm. Uh, so Goodbye Solo, I love that movie, and I, I think I think I mentioned it at least one other time, but like The Missing Person, you jokers can't be arsed to watch it. Jerks. <laughs> so, oh, there you go. Yeah, I can't. But... Uh, this, this actor who, he's so, he's so awesome. Uh, basically so much of what makes the movie work is this actor, Suleiman Sai Savani. He's just so watchable and he's so incredible, but because he is, he's from the Ivory Coast, you know, he's got a very thick accent. Uh, he's a very specific kind of character. I think the only other thing he's been in that people would know is a movie called Machine Gun Preacher with, uh, Gerard Butler. Oh, all right. Uh, but because... I don't, yeah, I don't think it's very good. And I actually don't specifically – I don't remember which character he is in that. Uh, you said so, it's only for Dingus, not for me. Machine Gun Preacher? Yeah. I thought that was for Dingus? Well, maybe I misheard you. Well, I saw it before he did, so it's not for me. It's for you, right. Dingus, because you saw it. Right. I misspoke and misheard myself. Chris Markinson writes, number three, Lost in Translation. Most of this cab ride is shot from outside the cab, showing Tokyo as the cab drives. But for a few moments, the camera turns and you see Scarlett Johansson's face looking at the backseat window of the cab. And the lights of the city are reflected in the window as the cab drives. The scene then cuts to the inside of the cab with a shot of Johansson who looks over to see Bill Murray sleeping, and she smiles a little before the scene ends. Chris Markinson's number two pick. He has a quote here. I'm American, honey. Our names don't mean shit. <laughs> this is from Pulp Fiction. Butch yeah. wins his boxing match and then with great haste catches a cab. The cab is driven by Esmeralda, Esmeralda Villalobos, who talks with Butch about names and what it's like to kill someone. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, he goes, she goes, what's it like to kill a man? He's all, I don't feel the least bit bad about it while they're listening to the Do you results. mean you don't remember, don't remember the ride? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. one of the first things I thought of, yeah. That yeah. whole thing about the names and, and her her Lobos name, and yeah. And, and, the, and, the, and the weird way it's filmed. It, it, I yeah. mean, the way the, the way the car moves and the way the camera shows, yeah, exactly, yeah. I do remember this one. In Payback, Porter, small Gibson's character, <laughs> gets into a cab only to find Stegman in it with a gun pulled on him. Uh, I think Stegman is Clark Gregg. Greg Clark, what's David, that his name? Oh yeah, Clark, not Clark Gregg. Yeah. Not the not Agent uh, uh, from Avengers. Agent Coulson, not him. You're talking about Clark Gregg from the guy who directed. Um, uh, damn it! Well, he's the bad guy in Payback, the one his friend who betrays oh, him, right? Right. His name is something like Clark Gregg or Greg Clark or something. Greg Henry. Oh, you know what? I think you're right, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Porter gets in to find Stegman in it with a gun pulled on him. As the cab ride begins, Stegman tells Porter he's going to hand him over to the syndicate. Then Porter steals Stegman's gun. Stegman says, quote, you're not going to fucking kill me, are you? 
before Porter starts to furiously bash his head into the protective shield in the cab. At that point, <laughs> Wait, that's David Pamer. Oh, that is Pamer. You're right. Yeah, that is. Greg Henry's Mal, the main guy. Right. Very good. Yeah. He's harder. He shoots him through a pillow. Uh, at that point, the actual cab ride stops, and then things get really out of hand. Yeah, Lucy Lubra as Pearl. Grant, oh, so hot. I know. Grant Stewart writes number three. If you've sat down after your standing ovation for the Goonies, you guys seated <laughs> by the way. Seated. We all seated. Okay. Uh, he says, I will give you the segue you've always dreamed of by choosing the Richard Donner classic Scrooged as my third best cab ride in a movie. <sighs> I don't know the actor's name, but I remember a really egregious New York taxi driver doing the Goes to Christmas past. Buster Dexter. Is that Buster true? Uh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know who that is. The guy looks like Rizzo on MASH. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, actually, I actually really like I do like that cab ride. I think it's, I think it's a clever little riff on Christmas Carol. Do you guys want to guess how Grant Stewart spelled Segway? S-C-G-W-A-Y? And he also capitalized the S. <laughs> All right. Ah, uh, well, you know. So you know what the goal is to Segway with ski poles. So now we have uh, this email was brought to you by? Yeah, product placement. Just like in Goonies, there was Domino's, Nike, Pepsi, and Babe Ruth. In Grant Stewart's email, so far we and have Segway. Superman. And, and Superman, yeah. Grant Stewart... Uh, wait, what? And James Bond. The dude getting hoofed out of a cab ride on the freeway for expressing his disdain for the Eagles. This comes immediately after getting a mug bounced off his noggin by the local sheriff and getting run out of town. Really oh, not his night. Are all those words in the same sentence? Are they, what? There's a lot of words there. Uh, it's three different sentences, and there are references to Big Lebowski, which Grant Stewart doesn't ah. tell us. Um, but those are Big Lebowski Lebowski bits noggin uh you know uh jeff bridges did his own stunt work for the mug hitting him on the head not many people know that Mm. who did the stunt work for the rug oh right the rug did dingus obviously please that rug has worked in a lot of movies right that rug by the way worked in room (laughs) i don't know if you know that that was a pivotal moment in Room. They had to hire a rug that had experience in movies, so they got that rug there. Pivotal. And and was used to working with kids. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, Great Stewart's number one cab ride. Wait a minute. Is this right? I love this ride. I guess I didn't realize it's okay. Oh, you know what? I don't love it because, okay. Uh, <laughs> trying to decide between love and not love. He's, Always agree. I love a version of this ride done with Bob Hoskins, and I don't think it's a cab though. In oh, the this, long good, okay, right, long goodbye. But that's not what Grant Stewart is calling out. Grant Stewart says the final shot and in credits roll in Michael Clayton as George Clooney drives off. No music plays, but it's a very long shot. We see him slowly relax, having just lured Tilda Swinton into incriminating herself on record. You can see a very slow satisfaction creep across Clooney's face. So the deal is. Uh, it, uh, like Clooney can't, what, what, uh, Bob Hoskins is doing at the end of the long goodbye, and by the way, there's a lot of music playing on that one. Uh, Bob Hoskins is riding off to his doom. Clooney, I think his character is just going back to his hotel to hang out. Like, I don't know why we need to watch him ride in the cab. Considering the, all the, you, you remember this, this week when all of a sudden I started laughing? Yeah, yeah, you were giggling at something, which I assumed was going to be one of your picks. Which of your picks was so hilarious that you chuckled madly for an hour? 
it wasn't that. It was Michael Clayton. Because I remember your reaction to the way George Clooney just yeah. could not sell that last moment of Michael Clayton. Yeah. And, all this, and as I was looking through my movie collection and thinking about different things that I was going to choose for a cab ride, all of a sudden I remembered Michael Clayton and your, your specific reaction, Tom, to the way he could not sell that final moment of, of, of introspection, of going over the, of all the things that had happened to him. And it just seemed like he was sitting there. He could have been thinking about the next script he was going to read. Yep, or what he's um, going to have for lunch. Or right. did he leave the oven on? Like, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. So I just started laughing my head off out of nowhere because I just started thinking about Michael Clayton and your specific reaction to the end of that movie. That's what I was laughing about. Grant Stewart, if that's your favorite cab ride, I invite you to just fast forward to the end of The Long Goodbye. Watch Bob Hoskins do that right, I'll say. By the way, I don't have that problem with that moment because I I think he's just just, uh, drained after this terrible thing that has happened in his life and and weathering it, and, and he's just... Trying to, it's it's basically at the end of a long work day, but multiplied by a thousand. See, uh, I, so I don't have that problem because I think he does it. I, I think he does fine with it. But I love your reaction. I absolutely love you. He's got the upper hand though. Like, why do you? Why do we need a long, you know, three minute shot of him riding quietly in a it's car? A long goodbye. When he's well, that's the point of the long goodbye is that right, we right. watch Hoskins being driven. He's about to be killed. Like Hoskins is being driven off to be executed. Uh, George Clooney, he's prevailed. He's won. You know, he's going to Disneyland. Why are we watching but, a three-minute drive with him in the cab? But people have been killed, and hes that's what he's reflecting upon. I mean, the death and the, the destruction, he, he hasn't – he's won, but think about the, the cost that has gone along the way. That's what he's reflecting upon. He should have I just don't think that he can reflect it. Right, he should have thought about that before the movie ended. Is all I'm saying. Okay, yeah, I, I agree with you. Started. One of my favorite things is your reaction to the end of Michael Clayton, and that's why I laughed so hard yeah. this week when I was looking through my movies. I do love me some George Clooney, though, but I'm not he always needs to park. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I love him too. I think he's awesome in a lot of things. Um, but your reaction to the end of Michael Clayton is one of my favorite things. Uh, next week's feedback: the worst George Clooney moments, and then number one, I'm just letting you know in advance, the cab ride at the end of Michael Wait. Clayton. That's my choice. All right. Well, oh, mine then is, is uh, Hail Caesar uh, when he drinks the wine. Mine is uh, Mine's in ER. In ER when he drives with Anthony Edwards and they're going to go meet their fathers or their long lost fathers or something. That road trip episode. Oh, like, in Hawaii. Uh, you watched ER. Shut up. All right. Rob. Is Grace Anatomy not on? <laughs> Rob Favre. It ends in a snow globe. Right. Uh, Deadpool. Oh, Rob. I'm afraid there's going to be trouble. I th- did yep. I take that off the table? Or yeah, no? you did. Well, That's yeah. the whole thing. Rob, I'm going to need you to pull over here, son. You got a driver's license? Can I see your uh, registration? But, sir, I'm in a cab. I'm not driving. Can you say the alphabet backwards, please? Rob can say, giant metal mutant in the back seat sipping a soda. Kidnapped rival love interest tied up in the trunk. Destination... An aircraft carrier, uh, no, it's a helicarrier, shield helicarrier, <laughs> that's sitting in the middle of a city for some reason. Sounds like Rob did not see any of the other Marvel movies. I was a little sad that we never got the payoff for Chekhov's Hello Kitty duffel bag full of guns, though. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that's because they ran out of money and they couldn't right. shoot gunfire. That was the payoff. Yeah. 
All right, Rob, let's see. You, you're, you've been pulled over. Uh, can you just wait here while I go call in your plates? <laughs> we'll look at his other picks here. Let's see. He also chose Fifth Element. He wrote, if they don't chase you after a mile, they don't chase you. I'm just glad the 3 by 3 police are more forgiving of traffic violations and cops of the future. That's where he's wrong, isn't he? Yeah. All right, let's see what he does with this one. I, I like where he's going. Let's see how he explains it. His number one pick, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, um, what? After spending the movie acting like a big shot and telling everyone he's a doctor, Tom Cruise shows up at the orgy of the 99% in the only cab at country estate full of limos. What? At the orgy of the 99% in the only cab at country estate full of limos. Okay, I get what he's trying yeah, to say. Yeah, I see what he's saying. Before he even goes in, we already know just how out of his league he is. And it sets an ominous tone for what follows. I do wonder if that cab driver ever got the other half of that bill. In um, The Missing Person, Michael Shannon, to hire the cab driver, he rips a $500 bill in half. And he says, okay, here's that. If you get me where I'm going, let me hide in the trunk. I'll give you the other half of the bill. I didn't realize that was from Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, What's the big deal, by the way, about going to... Like just a bunch of people having sex in masks. I mean, what, why is that such a big? Why is your car a big point of part of that? Why, like, what, does he freak out at that? I don't understand what he freaks out all through the movie because they're all gay. What are you talking about? Because they're blurred gay. out by uh, CG. Yeah, the CG would be distracting alone. to him. When like, I saw that movie at the beginning. I told the lady I was seeing it with, okay, don't talk during this like you always do, like you did during Sweet November, all right? This is Stanley Kubrick's last movie, so I need to pay attention. I don't want you ruining it for me. So shut up. So afterwards, and I just came out looking like, oh, God. <laughs> She's like, yeah, that worked out for you. Yeah, I was really quiet. <laughs> I like that you, you said the, the lady you saw it with. Did you see it with Judy Dench? Uh... She's a dame. Yeah, I think it's oh, sorry. Grand dame. Grand Arthur Giovangeli uh, also Iron Lady. chose Michael Clayton. At the end of the movie, Michael Clayton gets in a cab and tells the driver to give him 50 bucks worth. We see him sitting in the back seat as the credits start to roll. Yep, that's how I remember it. Arthur Giovangeli's taxi driver pick says, The final scene with Travis and Beth in the taxi. Uh-huh. Another ending involving a cab. I guess those work for me. This cab scene is particularly haunting, especially the last look from Travis. Hmm. Hey, wait a minute. Not Bickle. Arthur. Uh-oh. Dingus, what do you think of this? Llewellyn Moss takes a cab back to the motel where he is staying, only to see the shades pulled down. Oh, that's all right. He asks the driver to take him to another motel, but the driver gets nervous and must be bribed. One of the many great scenes involving the $100 bills in this movie... They're continuously used to get people out of tricky situations. Uh, okay, I'm okay with that then. Huh. All right, carry yeah, on. I actually, I, I actually really like that scene. Yeah. Okay. And um, God, I think the the uh, cab driver is a guy named Jason Douglas, uh, and you can barely even see the guy. Um, but he's well, in. Since, he's what'd you say? Since this is a Josh Hamill, uh, Josh Brolin themed uh, episode, we'll accept yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Colton W. Westrate. He asks if we're trolling him because in the tuxedo, Jackie Chan is the city's fastest taxi driver. 
Aww. after narrowly avoiding some chickens. <laughs> Are we trolling him? I love that. That's funny. He lands a job as the driver for a super spy of sorts. Unlike his previous Jackie Chan picks, Colton Westrade is fond of those, he says, I do not recommend this one. <laughs> Wait, wouldn't he be a limo driver because it's a tuxedo? Wouldn't that make more sense, Paul? Was? You'll have to take it up with Colton, Kelly Wan. Oh. Nick D. writes, The Fifth Element. Since my other two are fairly serious, I tried to think of the goofiest cab ride I could think of, and it has to be when 22-year-old Mila Jovovich dives off a skyscraper and lands in Bruce Willis's flying cab wearing her sexy hospital bandages. Mm-hmm. He falls immediately in love with her and then has to lose the cops while she babbles cutely at him. Luke Have you been Puss. on that date, Kelly Wand? I haven't been on a date yet, but... Luc Besson produced Taxi, the French one that spawned the Jimmy Fallon one. So my list has a theme I and see. is therefore cool. Interesting. Yeah. Nick D's second pick, we've heard this one before, Lost in Translation. The first one that popped into my head was a visual from Lost in Translation. Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray take a cab at night in busy downtown Tokyo. The lights shine in the windows and her face while my bloody Valentine plays on the soundtrack. It's a beautiful and melancholy moment. My Bloody Valentine? The soundtrack for the movie? Yeah, I'm thinking that's a slasher movie. Yeah, it's is, is he thinking of My Funny Valentine? <laughs> My Bloody Valentine soundtrack. He says soundtrack. No, it plays on the soundtrack. Is there really yeah. a song? There's a song called My Funny Valentine, right? It's like a Sinatra tune. Maybe it's a whole song. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, Nick D's number one pick, <laughs> The Game. Michael Douglas starts to feel like he's in trouble when his cab driver locks him in and refuses to stop. He starts to panic when the driver speeds up and eventually jumps out of the car, leaving it to fly off the pier with Douglas inside. In Canada, we don't have taxis where the back seats are like little sealed compartments closed off from the rest of the car. So this scene was particularly effective for me. Okay, so those are the listener picks. Do you guys have runners up? Because I've got a couple. Anything from you guys? I have a um, conspiracy theory directed by Richard Donner, where Mel Gibson is a taxi driver. Who... Oh, that's his job in that. Okay. Right, right. But I didn't actually um, see it, so that's why it's runner-up. So you just picked a movie that has a taxi driver? Well, because Richard Donner. Right. Oh, yeah, sure. Right. Good. Yeah. But I also like Die Hard 3, where they drive the cab through the Central Park, and I have seen that. Kelly, one one that I thought you might pick, Fingus and I didn't like it, uh, but I remember at this point in the movie still wondering what the hell was going on and being kind of charmed by it. Uh, Anomalisa has a cab ride early on before oh, yeah, I lost yeah. patience with it. I really like yeah. that cab ride yeah. in Anomalisa. Yeah. What did I you did crack too. on? I really I – actually, that's one of the things I uh, – other than the Cindy Lauper, and I, I got to tell you, I fucking love the Cindy Lauper song. In Anomalisa. Oh, in the good um, right. But I also love I love it in in Anomalisa. I mean, I really I don't I, I really like Cindy Lauper. Yeah, I, I'm not going to call you on that, Dingus. I'm with you 110. percent I uh, I like Anomalisa and Cindy Lauper. I don't like Anomalisa at all, but that cab ride is pretty good. Like and that's in the part of the movie where you're kind of like, am I on board or not? Right. Hmm. Uh, and, and Jennifer Jason Lee doing that rendition of Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Like, that might be, I don't know a lot of Cindy Lauper. That's, I think, minor Lauper. But time after time, I think it's still amazing. That's time after awesome time song. almost makes me tear up every time I hear Vegas, it. Vegas, shut I up. Mean, I was going to say that. All right. Baby. Every time after time you hear it. 
No, I mean, Time After Time is hugely affecting. I don't know if it's just when we heard it or if it's just that good a song, but yeah, it's a very heartfelt song. Jennifer Jason gets more lines in that movie than in uh, Hateful Eight, too. So you get to more Lee. And by the way, watching her act her way through that ridiculous, it must be like 12, 15 minutes of video for good enough. Um, She's great. She's really great. Wait, what are you talking about? For what? For uh, the good enough, the good enough video is like 15 to 20 minutes long. Oh, you're talking about the Goonies thing. The Goonies. Goonies. Not Jennifer Jason Lee. Okay. No, no, I just call it Doug. Um, just watching Cindy Lauper work her way through that, she's so endearing and she's so game and she works so hard. Um, she's always on. And one of the, one of the great things in the commentary track for the Goonies is that Sean Astin wanted to say something like specific to her and he couldn't because they just kind of mowed over him because of the way, you know, like you're watching the movie and it's, it's a terrible commentary track because there's, you know, eight people in the room and you can never tell who's talking. Um, Mm. but apparently what I wanted to say to her was, you know, when she was on set on that pirate ship, he, he kind of had this feeling like, uh, maybe everybody gave you the sense that we didn't want to be there, but we did. We loved it. We were just super tired. And that's one of the things that he wanted to say to her. This is like 2001, 2002, when they're doing the commentary track, like 10 years later. And he just wanted to tell Cindy Lauper, we love doing this. <laughs> and, I mean, she's just awesome. I really, really love Cindy Lauper. Have there been any good cab scenes with Cindy Lauper? I don't know. Uh, the only runner-up... You remember... Um, Kelly would know this, Firestarter? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, well, the dollar bill. Now, is that the cab ride, or that's paying for the ride? That's paying for the ride, yeah. um, but I just, I mainly, yeah, use the push, yeah. Um, and then there's, there's a wonderful thing, and, and I only know it because I saw it for one I did uh, last week or a couple weeks ago from the movie Seven, when Morgan Freeman is riding in the cab, and he's riding down the street, and he sees, like, a crime going on, and it's late at night, and he's driving, and and the cab and the cab driver says, you know, where are you headed? And he just says, far away from here. And it's it's just that little little part of the cab ride where he sees crime going on the street. He doesn't have to get out because the police are already there dealing with it. But he, but it's part of his character motivation, far away from here. Uh, Dingus wouldn't be into this because at this point in the movie, he was hoping that they would get killed. But I love the bit in Victoria when they've escaped and they're in those ridiculous clothes that they're wearing. Uh, and they're, they're just in the back of that cab exhausted after having escaped and, and wearing just absurd, mismatched, brightly colorful clothing. The escape in Victoria, I really like. Hmm. He was Wait. hoping they would be killed. You were. That's what you said. No, and Victoria Dingus was like, I hope they get killed. When they kidnap a baby, spoiler, but once they kidnap a baby, I was hoping they got killed. All right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. just going to watch the baby. Seems like a bad time to want them dead. Uh, Dingus, they dropped him off already. When you were cackling madly, Dingus, what I actually thought you were – I was trying to puzzle out, what are you laughing at? What I actually thought you would be laughing at, because I thought you liked this scene, and I thought you were sure that one of us was going to bring it up, and it's one of my runner-up scenes. Um Tay Diggs being uh, told that he has a Canadian accent by Larry Gay, renegade male flight detective. <laughs> I thought that's what you were cackling madly about because that's a great cab scene where Mark Feuerstein is like, I recognize your accent. What is that? And he's got the thick Jamaican accent, 
and uh, Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant, uh, is trying to accuse him of sounding like he's from Canada. It's a great scene. It's a great cab ride. So it's one. It's a, it's an iconic cab ride. I would say. Wouldn't you agree, Kelly Wand? Uh, I just call that movie Lugmafa. <laughs> All right, so uh, next week's 3x3, three three. Dingus, what oh. do you ha- have for – oh, Kelly Wand, what? Yes. No, I was just excited that we were oh. done. Kelly uh, – yeah, Dingus, what is the 3x3 three no three for next week? Your favorite abandoned buildings. Uh, we're just going to be talking about one particular movie for a while. I'm okay with that. Favorite but. abandoned buildings and movies. Come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There's going to be two movies we talk about. Eh, maybe just one. Can we use the same movie in all three picks? You've I mean, done the same. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. you did it for Kelly Wan's words of wisdom, so certainly. Can I do the same building though from the same movie for all three picks? You can do whatever you want. Interesting, but I might get arrested. You're saying? <laughs> Does a hedge maze count as a building? Kelly Wan, save it for the podcast. Oh, oh. oh. And it's not abandoned. It's just closed for the winter. It's not the same as being abandoned. Does a cab count if you get out of it? Are you abandoned? Hold on, Dingus. If you close something down for the winter, that's not abandoned. Abandoned just means you're done with it and nobody's ever coming back. When you just shut it down for the winter and you hire a caretaker and his family to keep the boiler running, that's not abandoned, right? No. No. It's not abandoned by the ghosts. They're still there. Yeah. No. They love it. Abandoned buildings. Okay. I like this. Dingus, what if listeners have some ideas about abandoned buildings? Amityville. Oh. Not abandoned. People live there, Kelly Wand. Yeah, but if they leave at the end. Come on, you guys will have to puzzle this out. I know you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll tell you what inspired it next week. Oh. I already know. Oh, do you? Amityville 3? I doubt you do. I bet you don't know what inspired it. Well, you're right, but I wanted to make you think that I did. Uh Right, fair enough. All right, if uh, you listeners, and please, if you want to... uh, uh, contribute. We would love it. So just send your picks for your favorite abandoned buildings and movies to 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. That's 3x3 at quarter to 3, all spelled out, dot com. So the guy in Blade Runner was living in the Bradbury building, so it wasn't abandoned, though. That's a shame. So the license plate was in the shark at Jaws. <laughs> Did he eat a car? So he didn't abandon it. All right, what movie are we seeing? Oh, a Benghazi thing or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? What did we decide? <laughs> We're I thought either one of those. Either one. Either one of them. Either one will do. But can we actually see out here that he can also see? Did we decide it was... Oh, either of those. Both, yeah. We're we're fine with either the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon sequel uh, or uh, Heroes of Benghazi 6, The Secret, whatever. Secret of Michael Bay. Right. So... Normally, uh, listeners, normally we figure this out beforehand, but I I think I forgot what we figured out, and these guys have as well. I just don't care. uh, Dingus, do you vote one way or the other? Uh, I know that we both were very curious about the Benghazi movie. But Michelle um, Yeoh. I, I would always rather Michelle Yeoh than anything else. Well, there we go. We're, we're settled. Wait, she's yeah. in it, right, Kelly Wan? She's in the sequel. I don't know that that's true. Are you serious? I don't know. How the hell would I know that? Shia it's a spoiler. In it because he died. Is it a prequel? I thought she dies. Have you seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon ever yeah, in your life? Yeah, I Doesn't she die? You thought Michelle Yeoh dies. Yeah. How did she die? 
She says, I'm turning into a butterfly. And You're thinking of butterfly her. effect with Ashton Kutcher. Wow. Uh, uh, she says, I'm turning too. into a butterfly, and she dies. Yeah, and then music plays. Thing is, is he right? Am I just forgetting? Good lord, I don't even know now. No, because Chow Yun Fat died. Well, she jumps off a mountain. You're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's the tagline for the poster for Everett. <laughs> that was the original name of it in English. Right? So, just saying. All right, I'm going to take your word for it, and just to verify, we're going to do Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Is All right, let's see if she's at it. Is that Maybe actually coming out? Can we actually see that? Yeah, yeah, it's a, a Netflix, Scott. It's a Netflix, yeah, it's a Netflix movie. So oh. it's a TV movie, kind of. Well, like Beasts of No Nation. I mean, it's uh, yeah, they're they're doing respectable things, so it can't be that bad. I'm excited. Anguish so doesn't have anything to do with it, does he? I don't think so. Well, you know what? We'll find out. That's what we're going to see next week, so there. All right, there we go. Did you even see Crouching Tiger? I don't think Michelle... She doesn't die at the end. Listen to yourself. I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. Uh, Great impression. I thought thought Tom was talking just then. That's how right Tom thought he was on that. Or how how stupid I am right now. Let's find out. Six of one. Six of one. Let's do it. What happens to the younger couple? Neither of them dies, though, right? Thanks. So. She's one of the younger couple, I thought. No, the younger ones. Old the, people die. Those. I just cared about Chow Yun Fat and Michelle. Sometimes Yell. I get it mixed up with Hero, which was another movie that was kind of similar. Wait, the Dustin Hoffman thing with the plane? Oh. Well, you know what? Let's sort this out next week when we Shell Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny, whatever it's we'll called. We'll know who's in it by then. Who, what? <laughs> We'll know who's in the movie by then and who's dead or exactly. alive. Well, Maybe, well, out. Tom and I will know. Yeah, well, oh, uh, all right. Keep, remember those words. There will be remember plenty of told you so's one way or the other. Uh, uh, and then we'll talk about abandoned buildings. So join us for that next week. <laughs> I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McClaxcree. It's Christian Murawski. That's what I just said. And uh, Kelly Wand. Man, you smell like phys ed. Dingus, I'm the chunk of this outfit, huh? That's what I said. You always contradict me. I swore an oath to keep it secret. (laughs) This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Uh, It could happen. Kelly, you're going to live with us now because we love you. Yeah. Don't be no signing of anything ever again as long as I'm president. <laughs>